there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this episode of the Video Archives podcast, paging Dr. Quentin, paging Dr. Roger, you're needed an OR8 for Arthur Hiller's The Hospital, where madness, murder, and malpractice are running rampant. Dr. Bach, played by Video Archive's leading man, George C. Scott, is the chief of medicine at a hospital in Manhattan. Not only is he suicidal from his professional life collapsing, but a string of malpractice cases leads him to believe that there's a murderer on the loose. Written by our first truly great writer featured on the podcast, Quentin and Roger discuss the masterful storytelling by Patty Chayefsky, Scott's volcanic performance, and what Hiller brings to the screen no matter what movie he's directing. Next up, Quentin and Roger travel to the early American West in Olzana's raid. Based on true happenings, fierce war chief Olzana and a contingent have jumped the reservation and are bent on murder and terror. An inexperienced young lieutenant is assigned to track him down. With him travel a top-notch scout and an Apache guide. What ensues is massacres, rapes, looting, and sheer terror of the American people. Quentin and Roger discuss confronting hidden prejudices within evolving characters, the surprising and brutal violence of the film that mirrors the Vietnam War, and the working relationship between Robert Aldrich and Burt Lancaster. And, last but not least, Quentin and Roger reach for an impossible dream and build a miracle in steel. A building tycoon falls to his death, leaving his skyscraper unfinished. His daughter sets her sight on finishing the last nine floors against the will of her uncle, who wants the bank to default on it so he can have not only the building, but her father's business for himself. With nothing but moxie, she assembles the seven samurai of the construction world to hang iron and get this job done. A remarkable movie about America coming together, we discuss the unique way that we watch this film, how a team can come together, and the fantastic cast this movie features. I'm Gala Avery, and joining us now, here's Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. 
Thank you, Gala, and welcome everybody to another edition of the Video Archives podcast. I'm your co-host, Quentin Tarantino. And I'm Roger Avery. And would somebody please kill the Bakalov? So our first movie that we're going to be discussing... Take us to 1971, Quentin. Yes, and this episode is Patty Chayefsky and Arthur Hiller's The Hospital. In this beautiful uh, key video, which is a, a 20th Century Fox division, key video box. The rainbow box. The, the wonderful rainbow box. In the space of one week, we chop out one kidney, damage another, reduce him to coma, and damn near kill him. George C. Scott in the hospital, where everything that happens is a matter of life and death. I don't suppose you'd like to call an extra kid. No, thanks. This is the emergency room. One of the doctors just died of a heart attack. What the hell is going on around here? Every time I try to find somebody in this hospital, they either died of a heart attack in emergency or anesthesia shock in an operating room. Well, what are you suggesting, doctor? You think we have a mad killer stalking the halls of the hospital? We have established the most enormous medical entity ever conceived, and people are sicker than ever. We cure nothing. We heal nothing. George C. Scott in the hospital. Paging all listeners, the hospital with co-hits Alzana's Raid and Steel will be playing for two nights on Tuesday, May 2nd and Wednesday, May 3rd. Don't miss this Video Archives triple feature, the way that Quentin and Roger intended it. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For tickets and more information, visit thenewbev.com. The New Beverly Cinema, always on film. I, I saw this movie like a couple times when it came out. Yeah, uh, I'd never seen this film. At the theaters. I saw the, it was kind of sold to me, but my dad's, oh, well, that's sort of like MASH, just not in the war. And I watched it and it was sort of like MASH, yeah. except not in the war. Um, and even though I think 75% of this movie just operated way above my head, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have understood anything. Well, I think when George C. Scott's talking about impotency, I don't even think I knew what impotency was, you know, as a 10 year old in 71, however old I was. But- I still thought it was really funny. I still really, really liked it. And I thought George C. Scott was fucking amazing, even though I didn't understand what he was talking about or didn't even under, couldn't even understand what, what Patty Chayesky was talking about. And I was still mesmerized. But I hadn't seen it in uh, uh, quite a long while. I, and I brought it up to Roger and realized he hadn't seen it at all. And I thought it was time that we threw a really great writer into the mix of our show, which I don't think we, we, we had good writers, but I think this is our first really great writer that we've thrown into uh, uh, the mix of the show. I wanted to do that. And I wanted to, because we like George C. Scott so much, and we've enjoyed watching his performances on the show this season so much that I wanted him to kind of uh, finally uh, uh, meet Rod Steiger status where, uh, so we've had officially, th- uh, I think three Rod Steiger movies or four Rod Steiger movies. We've got like three, George C. Scott movies. We have to have at least three. Okay, so the back of the key video box says in bold headline, George C. Scott in the award-winning satire of medicine's darker side. In the hospital, interns chase the nurses. Patients die from neglect. Doctors quote the stock market and mayhem is all in a day's work. 
The prognosis looks dark, and the only antidote is brilliant satire in this richly textured black comedy about a large metropolitan hospital that won its creator, Petty Chayefsky, an Academy Award. The great George C. Scott is head of this macabre circus, a man who copes with his problems by swigging vodka and contemplating suicide. And the over 63 different characters, including an administrator who requests Blue Cross numbers from a very dead corpse, and a crazed mystery man who's methodically killing off the staff, and you have a blistering, funny, and highly acclaimed commentary that is guaranteed to make you think, even while it makes you laugh. 1972, color 103 minutes. Roger. What did you think of The Hospital, having seen it for the first time? Well, um, I found this Franklin Brenner review, which happens to be perfectly in line with uh, with how I felt about the film. Great. I th- or at least closely in line, as close as he's ever been. Despite being totally absurd, any personal experience being a patient trapped in the medical system legitimizes even the most ludicrous moments of Arthur Hiller's swing at Chayefsky-branded social commentary, 1971's The Hospital tailor-made for George C. Scott to scene-steal with his usual virile bravado, here employed playing an impotent doctor, the bear actor gnashes and masticates his way through the carcass Chayefsky has laid out for him, the bureaucracy of American medicine, and the failures of systematic intolerance and self-interest. Hiller, for his part, stays out of Scott's way, despite the tight spaces and corridors, but never lets his eye off the grinding magnificence of that fury-soaked performance, only cutting to punctuate. This is Hiller at his finest, indulging the talent to comic inspiration and allowing the language of the camera to evolve from the language of the performance, itself derived from the rhythms of Chayefsky's particular theatrical patois, which is why the film is titled Patty Chayefsky's The Hospital, because it is. Well said. Well, and it really is Patty Chayefsky's The Hospital because it's like watching a play, but it is Hiller's game, man, because mm-hmm. Hiller, uh, who, you know, when he's great, he's great. Mm-hmm. And when he's not, he's not so great, but mm-hmm. here he's great. His talents are put perfectly into um, employment. Hiller was a great old school Director. Now, the thing about it is great old school studio directors are assigned all kinds of movies. And so, look, when he does Nightwing, it's not in the same level as when he does The, <laughs> the Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he does Making Love, it's not in the same level as when he does uh, The Americanization I mean, of he Emily. Did, he did Plaza Suite the same year. Yeah. <laughs> like. He's a director who knows how to deal with uh, a writer's material. Yeah. He knows how to take writer's material, uh, 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 heavily written material, and then dramatize it and bring the best out of it. Now, before The Hospital, he did Petty Chayefsky, what I consider his other great movie script, which is uh, The Americanization of Emily. Yeah. That has a monologue that is, I, I think, in the top three monologues of all time, the uh, – uh, James Gardner is uh, telling the British old lady about uh, his brother's death in the war, about how not to romanticize military service. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole movie is fantastic, and he does it again with the hospital. And the same year, he'll attack uh, Neil Simon with Plaza Suite, and so, you know, he's the guy that you bring in to 
to do these terrific writers and figure out how to bring the best out of them, how to bring the best out of the actors, how to get the best out of the dialogue, and how to get the best drama or comedy out of a scene, how to put it on its feet dramatically. Yeah, and, and, and the make best way live. to do that is to stay out of the way mm-hmm. on a personal level and serve the material, which you can really feel like this is a director who's workshopped it. They've rehearsed it. Mm-hmm. They've done proper rehearsal. I mean, they've mm-hmm. done rehearsals probably for weeks on this. I, uh, no, I would, I would, I would imagine that you know, if, if a normal long rehearsal for a movie is uh, two weeks, then I would imagine that the hospital was probably four weeks rehearsal. But one of the things that Hiller uh, does to ground these these projects, like for instance, in the case of Love Story, you know, he had a really fun script and a real fun movie with no this is a good emotional package an audience goes and sees this movie they're going to they're going to have a, end up having a good time at the movies it's a good emotional fun movie i say fun you cry at the end of it but that's fun uh, uh, um in the case of both his two leads Ryan O'Neill and Ali McGraw their chemistry is wonderful together now Arthur Hiller sells that and the whole first half of the movie by having scenes that, that uh, of the two of them uh, just doing their banter back and forth, a little patter back and forth, uncut. Yeah. And so for the first half of the movie, oftentimes big scenes with them are played in long, unbroken takes. So you actually see that they actually do have chemistry together. They actually belong together. You actually like them together. And it's not the movie making that happen. That actually literally just is their dynamic. And consequently in the hospital, he has long, long, long uh, George C. Scott monologues delivered without any cuts whatsoever. And not just monologues, entire dialogue-driven scenes. Oh, the scene uh, goes like, on and on and on. He might move the camera to a different position to give the illusion of a, of a, a cut. that you've seen a cut. Yeah. But it, I, I was stunned at how long he held. Again, again especially in the first half. Especially in the, the first, first half, half yeah. yeah. And he goes out of the way as 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 crazy as and absurd as the movie is to really ground the hospital in uh, uh, a recognizable chaos going a on. realistic chaos a very a very real like it's not overfilled it's it's not ridiculous now okay here's the thing though I think there is a difference between the first half of the movie and the second half of the movie and the first half of the movie is the realistic part yeah. of of the film and uh and then it starts spinning off axis and then it starts spinning off its axis and as crazy and as hysterical as the movie is at the beginning He's doing the thing that television later with Hill Street Blues will do of just bustling characters, moving uh, moving in their jobs, moving down corridors, going in and going out. He's doing the same thing he uh, Chayefsky will later do with uh, Altered States, having characters just barrel through technical jargon yeah. <laughs> at, a, at a rapid pace. But the actors seem to know what they're talking about <laughs> as they bombard you with their jargon as they walk down these halls, at, at, usually at, the, at, at full volume. Well, in the case of uh, Altered States, always at full always volume. Always at full volume, yeah. <laughs> um, but look, I just, I have an issue with the film that actually is less an issue and more of a point of departure to talk about the film. But I just thought the hospital was just fantastic. It knocked me out. I've seen it before, but uh, but watching it with you, it was really, really special. And I, I actually think George C. Scott gives one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Not not just. I mean, it's just one of the best performances I've ever seen. On one hand, even though I didn't understand what he was talking about, I think I understood that as a little boy. But now watching it as an older man, I almost 
feel that I, I, there's a there was a quote once that most men end their lives in anguish, and I think that actually is true. I think most men do end their lives in anguish, and uh, I think there's something to George C. Scott's character and to his id that he reveals that once you get older, that it's just kind of devastating. That I I see something of myself in him at this age. All right, you know, and it's none of the high points. It's just that there, but but there is an anguish there. Yeah, there is an anguish there that uh, I, I I wouldn't have related to at any other time in my life. But now I'm at the right age that I can. I I, I think it's one of the best characters I've ever seen in my life, and I think it's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I too. I'm really glad that I saw this movie. I mean, you saw it as a young boy, and mm-hmm. also now. So, but I'm glad I saw this movie at the age that I'm at because what George C. Scott is going through is not uncommon. <laughs> You're right. Um, and, and he's so electrifying mm-hmm. throughout all of it. Mm-hmm. There's only a few moments where um, I, I start to feel the, the theater mm-hmm. of it all, yeah, the yeah. kind of stagey kind of mm-hmm. um, dialogue, but that's Chayefsky. I accept that. Yeah. 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 No, that is, and, that is what it is. That's like, that's like complaining that there's the, uh, there's too many one-liners in, in Neil Simon. Well, that's who the fuck he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like saying Tennessee Williams is too gothic. Well, then what the fuck are you going to do? All right. Don't watch Sweeper Review. Uh, There's two things in this movie that um, potentially derailed the film for me and didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them we'll talk about later, uh, maybe. Yeah. And that's Bernard Hughes's uh, arc. Arc. Yeah. His whole arc. And the other one is Diana Rigg, who's the Mm -hmm. only other person other than George C. Scott, the only other actor Mm -hmm. other than George C. Scott credited in the opening credits. Mm Mm-hmm. I am a massive Diana Rigg fan, yeah, yeah. like like I know you are yeah, as, as well. Absolutely. And um, when she showed up in the movie, um, at first I was not so into her character. She was my least favorite mm-hmm. character in it. But then on the power of George C. Scott mm-hmm. and her uh, her basically her interfacing with his rage mm-hmm. was so brave and um, f- uh, fearless as an actress. I see why she's um, uh, given that credit next mm-hmm. to Scott. The, she has to ride that wave. Well, uh, we need to describe this a little bit, especially for me to give my take on it, is um, Scott is so perfect in this movie. And, and this is not just me keep throwing platitudes, but it's like um, like the costume he wears in the film, the checkered shirt and the, and the, the, the kind of soiled tie a, a little bit that he wears throughout the whole film. Everything seems perfect about that. His glasses seem perfect. The grease in his hair seems perfect. The mixture of dark and gray in his hair. Everything just seems... And even when he cleans up, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect, yeah. He just kind of... Yeah, he's the same guy, but with a coat of paint on him. Yeah. All right? Yeah, yeah. He, he just watched, watched the he watched the sleep out of his eyes. Yeah. Or he threw some cold water in his face, and he actually woke up for a fucking second. Yeah. Um, in the film, yeah, it just, you know, he's, he's going through a terrible divorce from a terrible marriage, uh... He's not the administrator. He's that, like, you know, I guess he's the head doctor of the yeah, hospital. Yeah, he's like one of the head doctors. He's the guy who trains all of the residents. Yeah, yeah. He's basically the head doctor. But the hospital is beca- is is becoming a Byzantine farce, all right, of uh, uh, of what a hospital should be. I think they even say a Roman farce. Yeah, well, he point. does call it a Roman farce at a certain uh, but he calls it a Roman farce on a terrible gothic horror show. <laughs> <laughs> the gothic horror show, it is, for sure. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the whole thing in the hospital is is like, you know, 
People come in from minor situation and then this weird thing happens and this weird neglect thing happens and then somebody reads something wrong and the next thing you know, the guy's dead. Yeah. Five, five days later, the guy's dead. And, so, it, it, and you know what? And if you can make that leap to uh, believe that that actually happened, I bought, I bought then everything in the movie works. Well, <laughs> that's the part that's actually played the most realistically are those, yeah. are those were Byzantian things that happen. A guy comes in for a simple this and then three days later, he's in a coma uh, uh, because of neglect, not reading shit right, doing just because, it wrong. It, just because the bureaucracy and the hospital itself has become so big it can't control itself it can't yeah. organize itself the whole thing the bureaucracy is making the bureaucracy, a metaphor for America the bureaucracy runs it yeah. All right. So when the bureaucracy is wrong, it doesn't know it's wrong. And, and, and <laughs> because when, there's not a human being to write it. And how can they organize? Because there's, in the meantime, you know, th there's a huge protest going on. The hospital is trying to expand yeah. so that it can expand. Yeah. But in its expansion, it's only becoming bigger and worse yeah, and it's of a monster, and of it's, an octopus. And it's kicking uh, residents. It's out destroying of their neighbor, the neighborhood yeah, unintentionally yeah. in trying to save people. So the thing is, so he's so, so he carries all this around. He's like he's he's suicidal. He he's not only reeling from the divorce; he's reeling from the twenty years of the bad marriage. Yeah, <laughs> he's estrangement from his children, and he, and he's coming to terms with everything. He's like, mm -hmm. yeah, my kids. Like he doesn't like either of them. Yeah, yeah. He's a communist. She's like, yeah. uh, you know, and it's just like pregnant or some dude. Just, everything uh, kind of comes down on him. You know, and then he's realizing these this ridiculous situations that are happening in the hospital that just seem like like Grand Goulion yeah. <laughs> farce. And so then he's sitting in his office and he's contemplating suicide. Now, he has met Dinah Riggs character earlier on because her dad is in a coma that he shouldn't be in in the hospital. She wants to take him out. And uh, he sees her talking with the uh the doctor, and he even says, like, who's that? And they go, oh, well, that's this missionary who works with the Apaches, who th th that thing happened. Then there's an Apache uh, uh, medicine man there who's doing a special dance for his father, and, like, George C. Scott has to give them the okay to do it. So he talks to Diana Rigg a little bit there, gets a sense of her, and gives her the okay. Yeah, she convinces him it's not a medical thing, it's a religious practice. It's a religious practice. And that's how they can allow it to happen in the hospital. And he's like, okay, fine. You know, um... Uh, and then he has a, a small talk with her in her, her office, and then she leaves. And then he contemplates killing himself right then and there by shooting himself up with potassium. And so he actually draws the potassium. Yeah, he does more in, than in contemplate. The yeah, yeah. He's, he's doing in the, it. In the syringe, he wraps up his arm to make the vein pop with his belt, and he's going to shoot himself up. And she just inexplicably walks back into the office yeah. and goes, hey, what are you doing? All right. She thinks he's getting high. And this, but she's a, she's a nurse. She knows that, that potassium would kill him. And they proceed to have this big conversation that goes on and on. It's, it's, it's the, and in classic George C. Scott form, he's like a volcano that's just slowly simmering, ready to explode. He's absolutely a volcano. Also, Petty Chayefsky is a volcano. This entire movie has been written to this scene. This is the scene where it will all erupt, both literary-wise and drama-wise, mm -hmm. and George C. Scott-wise. Yeah. And she's provoking, and she's provoking because he says he's impotent, but she actually can, can tell, well, I like you, I like middle-aged men. And, and he's getting drunker and drunker and drunker and drunker until finally, in a vodka-fueled drunken rage, he ravishes her, like rips her clothes off, forces himself on her, and actually proves that he's not impotent. Now, 
which you have to also understand in a lot of these movies when this happens is uh, uh, what Patty Chayefsky is doing here and what they're doing as far as even telling the, the story. It's not about should somebody do this? Should somebody not do this? This is all allegorical. Uh, 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 yeah, even the crowds outside are allegorical. It's, it's an allegorical expression of lust and manhood that happens. It's a literary thing, ultimately. She actually did like him. It seemed like that was the aspect that she was trying to lure out of him to show him that he was and, and, and to provoke him like the bear that he is, is the way to do it. And it works. And then from that point on, then the movie is, is different. And then a, an interesting aspect is added to it where it almost becomes a, like a, it borders on a silly romantic comedy, mm-hmm. all right, where it's like Diana Rigg is, look, I love you, you love me, so why don't you just leave all this behind, all your misery, and then just go with me to Mexico and we'll live amongst the Apaches and we'll be together and yeah, we'll have we'll, a baby and we'll live life. And goes, I can't do that. What are you talking about? You almost killed yourself <laughs> an hour ago. <laughs> I'm offering you something else. Now, I have to say, your um, delivery of that um, proposition to me is better than the movie presents because mm-hmm. to me, the movie becomes very stagey, mm-hmm. theatrical for that one moment. It's the only moment that I really felt. Um, like I wasn't even sure I believed that in the film that she wanted him to run off with her. Well, I think I'm in love with you, George C. Scott. Well, there's an interesting thing and here: growling, gristly, patchy bear, all angry and scarred. Well, I I actually think George C. Scott looks very virile in this movie. Well, he it, it, he does. Just, he always looks virile. He yeah, looks like, like, like he looks very like he looks as virile in this as he does in the last run. All right. Uh, um, I took that at face value mm-hmm. when I watched the movie. But I've been thinking about the hospital all weekend long. Me too. Since I saw it. And I think there's a case to be made of another reading of the movie. The whole movie builds to that middle scene between George C. Scott and and Diana Rigg. Then it happens. And it changes everything. Now, now, admittedly, the events in what happens, him ravishing her and 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 having this new lease on life and everything, those would be events that would change everything. But it doesn't just change everything as far as the events that are being portrayed. The entire movie is different after that. All the weird, absurd comedy that happens in the first half of the movie is still grounded in reality. Those little stories about how this patient came in for this and ended up this happening to them and that happening to them, and that all sounds very convincing. You buy it. Mm-hmm. You absolutely buy it. Uh, there is also, there's this killer going around killing doctors and nurses. And we see this going on throughout the film to some degree. After the second half, things are never grounded again. Things start becoming far more absurd. Things become far less plausible. Things are more hysterical than they were before. Um, Almost almost outlandish. They're outlandish. Everything gets more surreal. Everything gets more out of control. I don't buy the things that are going on anymore. There is a reveal of who's doing the these murders in the hospital. I didn't buy the reveal. I didn't buy the whole story about it. I didn't I didn't buy it. I just didn't buy it. I didn't find it plausible. I didn't buy it. Oddly enough, even when we watched it, that didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're somebody like Patty Chayeska, you're always swinging for the fence. And sometimes I'll go with you and sometimes I won't, but it doesn't ruin the whole game. But here's where I'm going with this. Over the week, I started thinking about it. I don't think Diana Rigg is real. At all? Here's what I think. 
I think he did see her in the hallway. I think he did see her in you're the hallway. In, you're in Gala territory. No, I'm now. not. I, I think there. I think you can back it up. I think. Uh, I, I think the movie backs it up. Georgie Scott saw her talking, you know, and he go, oh, "Who's that?" You know, so she's somebody who caught his eye. Then he got together with her to give her the okay on on uh, the medicine man. Got so he got a sense of her. Got a sense of how she talked and everything. Oh, she's British. Got that. All right. Then they have their little scene, and then she leaves. I'm taking my father out, and that's it. Boom. That is it. She's left. That's it. She's gone from the movie. She's gone. She left his life. Boom. Then he goes. He gets the potassium. He wraps up his arm. He's about ready to commit suicide. And then inexplicably, an angel comes back. There's no reason for her to come back. She doesn't come up with a reason why she came back. Mm -hmm. She comes back. And she literally becomes an angel the moment she comes back. She literally saves George C. Scott in every way she can possibly save him. If we're to take him at face value, he was going to kill himself right there. So right there, by walking into the room, she saves his life. Then she proves to him that he is a man and that he, that his impotency is, is, is based out of his own dissatisfaction. Uh, and so she, so she brings him back to life as, as a man, as a living person, as somebody who actually cares about life. And then, and I love you. And I want you to go with me. And we can live this love. This is what he wants. These are the things he doesn't have. And then this fantasy woman that he just had a small encounter with comes in and you know and 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 shows him this way. And, now, all, and all she does is offer him a future that he will deny so that he can continue with the hospital. Exactly. And now it makes sense that everything is so fucking crazy out of control because we are now being told the story. We are now, from the second point on, we're being told the story by an unreliable narrator. Yeah, I mean, even that riot that's going on outside starts to feel like the riot in Inception. Yes, Inside of the dream. It's like this weird abstract riot. He's just drank uh, like a full bottle. Absolutely. It's unrealistic that this... Angel can come in and cure all of his problems. He needed the catalyst of an angel for him to cure his own problems. I mean, I like the movie more that way, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And again, I'm not certain that that's how it is. It seems as far-fetched as any of my highfalutin ideas Mm -hmm. that I come up with on movies. Having said that, I like it better. It it, it gives me a nice escape valve for Mm -hmm. that scene between him and Diana Rigg, which Mm -hmm. I just felt impossible in some ways mm-hmm. like because you're right no, i love you i love you you love me yeah, let's go like, together let, let's go and you like and, and, and suddenly that's the whole debate in the end the problem i had with bernard hughes uh and it evaporated after a while because i started thinking about all the stuff they were saying about the hospital and how um the bureaucracy means that nobody really knows what they're doing and nobody really cares everybody's just going like they're at the dmv they may as well be working at the dmv yeah, yeah. they don't really care that you don't know who you're injecting with what you're just told to do it so you do it mm-hmm. you're here you're there you don't you know people are coming and going there's a hundred doctors working there many of them don't aren't even uh permanently at the hospital they just come and they work at the hospital mm-hmm. they do they do operations at the hospital like richard dysart's yeah. uh strongly capitalistic uh, character who I actually loved his, I love Richard Dysart Me too. from yeah. the thing, but he's perfect in yeah. this role. When he gives that little tax speech, oh, yeah, he has the like, tax yeah, benefit I, I speech, to incorporate. it was 
so realistic because I could not understand it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it means it must have been real because <laughs> I absolutely couldn't. I can't understand those things. <laughs> so I started thinking about it over the weekend. I was like, you know, in the reality that they build this hospital and the statement that they're making about, you know, American bureaucracy mm-hmm. and corporate uh, services for people. It's believable. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely believable that no one knows shit about what's going on at any given moment in that in that building, mm-hmm. and um, and that people are only there for the self interest and you know uh, and for the money, like Richard. Well, Dussard. that just backs up your thoughts about. Well, America. and and then I and then I got and I got to say, <laughs> of course you like this movie. <laughs> well, and then well, I got to say, George C. Scott does too, because yeah. right after this, he goes and he does Rage. Right after this, he does Rage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like he goes out and he's like, I got more in me. I got more lead in my pencil. And so he goes out. He's still pissed at uh, doctors. And he brings Bernard Hughes and the great Robert Walden with him. Yeah, yeah that's right. Everybody, hey guys, come on. I got more to say on this yeah, subject. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, wasn't it great after Rage to see Robert Walden walking around again? It yeah. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now we're joined by the lovely Gala Avery. Gala, had you ever seen a hospital before? I had never seen the hospital. And I'm you s- such a big Patty Chayefsky fan? Me, my man Patty Chayefsky. Those who know, know. <laughs> Altered States changed my life. I love the book and I love the movie. Quentin, I'm kind of mad that I didn't think of that also, <laughs> like, to be honest. I think this that's, is, your, that's, that's your pushant. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kind of mad uh, that I wasn't the one that brought that to the table because... I think this might be one of my favorite discussions you guys have had, mm-hmm. specifically because of that theory. Mm-hmm. Because that theory that you have fixes my issue with this movie, mm-hmm. which is yeah. that reveal of, like, you killed God at yeah, that yeah, certain yeah, yeah, point. Yeah. It's uh-huh. just, I, I didn't buy that, but... I mean, it, it all becomes very heady and, uh, and is, New York playwright. I mean, but like, what's, but what's, in, what's interesting to me is the fact that I didn't buy that or care for it either, and it didn't affect my feeling it, on the movie. Yes, I, I mean, I have a little heart. I have a little heart on my top corner. I yeah. loved this movie. Uh, when I was watching, I'm like, oh yeah, more medical malpractice because I loved coma. <laughs> I love- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, like you're, you're like the Avery. only person I know who says, yeah, more medical malpractice. <laughs> you should become an attorney. <laughs> well, I loved coma, and I'm watching this. And I'm like, oh, this is like kind of like coma for the boys. Like it's like kind of like it's coma with Jersey Scott losing his shoes as opposed opposed to Jean Bouchot. And I gotta say, I actually like this better than Coma, Uh, and I really, really like Coma. That was one of your favorite movies. It was one of my favorite movies, and I really, really like the hospital. Mm -hmm. I wish that I remembered what. Diana Riggs' dad says to George C. Scott, like, when he goes to choke him. Mm-hmm. I wish I remember, because he says that line to him, like, some religious line. And I feel like that could play into your theory, which yeah, yeah. 
evaporates all of my issues about the movie. It evaporates my issue about the end being wacky. And also, uh, I wanted them to be together in the end. And yeah, yeah. evaporates that issue as well. I agreed that there's a weirdness to the Diana Rigg character. And I started putting it under the microscope. And then it hit me hit me on Saturday. Well, there, regardless, there is a kind of supernatural oracle-like quality to Bernard Hughes's character because mm-hmm. he seems to know everything that's going to happen, everything that has happened, everything that's going to happen, all the minutiae details mm-hmm. when he's talking about Richard Dysart's character and you're like, uh, they will assume that his well, partner it, in Brazil. Da, 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 da. Like and he, it's absurd that this like <laughs> missionary from Mexico they've had would know the intricacies of all these different doctors and nurses and what yeah. they did wrong to all these different people, not just him. Yeah, it's like Exorcist Four. Yeah. Or something in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> um, as Quentin and Roger said, the be- like the first half of the movie is really grounded in reality. If you want to know more about medical malpractice, I would recommend reading Gawande's book, Complications, A Surgeon's Notes on an Imperfect Science, which literally is just this movie. It's all of like him being like an intern into being a doctor of like all the medical malpractice that he witnessed. And what happens to Diana Riggs' father is really normal. That you go in for a biopsy and then all of a sudden it's like you nick this and you nick that and then you're in a coma and then you die. Happened to my mom. Happens all the time. So uh, and also Groupman's How Doctors Think if you really want to get into medical malpractice like for some reason I did. <laughs> uh, George C. Scott is so sexy in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching it. I'm thinking, God, he's just like great. He's punchy. I mean, with Patty Chayefsky's dialogue behind him, which the script uh, for this movie, The Hospital, won the Academy Award that year yeah. for Best Screenplay, and it deserves it. Deservedly so. My favorite line uh, in the movie, or there's a few, but one of my favorite lines that George C. Scott is yelling is, where do you train your nurses? Dachau? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. That is yeah. such a good line. He tells that to Nancy Marchand, who's yeah, yeah. the uh, yeah. head of the nursing staff. She was on The Sopranos. And this movie, like, George C. Scott is literally just moving the entire movie. Like, he's just going, and it's so fluid. And, of course, Victor Kemper, DP yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course, our man Kemper is mm-hmm. coming in hot with just— and, and I, like, and, and His I, work is so good on this, and so restrained I, and fantastic. And I completely agree with you about how sexy George C. Scott is. I found it very believable that, that Diana Rigg was into him. Oh, he's, expl- <laughs> yeah. he's exploding with testosterone throughout yeah, the movie. Yeah. Like, and, and it's all bottled up, and he's just like this— <laughs> For a man who's playing it— Impotent. impotent. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's so not impotent. It's actually funny to actually now, now that we have a George C. Scott impotent movie, we had a Rod Steiger impotent movie yeah, yeah. with Dirty Hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now we both got both of them being impotent. Yes, exactly. And boy, they're the most uh, impotent brothers. Yeah. They're the most <laughs> testosterone <laughs> rodeo bulls of uh, of impotence of impotence of all time. <laughs> I really liked the shaman sequence where the shaman is uh, praying over her uh-huh. father. Uh-huh. Um, one, it's like taking place during a thunderstorm. So it just has like this mystic thing. And of course, I mean, the Chayevsky like altered states connection with like mm-hmm. the Native Americans and indigenous people and just like the mysticism behind it. It's like so Chayevsky. I love it. But my favorite part of that sequence is actually the black nurse. Yeah. She is so that's the one part of the movie that I actually found funny. Like the, I didn't, the one, the desk nurse who like when she turns her head, like. Oh, the way like she she actually waits to what turn are you her trying head. to tell yeah, me? Yeah, yeah she's right. like, and she's like, it's so funny because she gives it like a beat and a half, maybe two beats, and then turns her head, and it's such a comic timing moment. Mm-hmm. It's great because she hears that, tsk, 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 yeah, tsk, like of like the, it's not a maraca, but like yeah, the well, maraca, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the shaker, the, yeah, yeah, and her performance is I, the the back of the box kind of makes it seem like it's like 
an Arthur Hiller comedy, like it's like the in-laws or something that like it's super funny or like it is, well, an, it it is an Arthur Hiller comedy, but it's not like the in-laws. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Think, I do think the first half is leaning into I mean, it's as grim as everything they're describing. It's leaning into satire, mash, it's definitely, mash, mash style it's satire. It's definitely satire. The back of the box to me kind of made it seem like, oh, and then you have like the woman that's like trying to do this and like this. Like it's almost like a buddy comedy. It's, I don't know. Like it's an that ensemble rare, comedy. It's that rarity, a smart comedy. But that Blackner shaman sequence was so funny to me. Like, well, it, it, it's. It's a thing they do constantly in the film. It's like a character talks like a Patty Chayefsky character. Blah, 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 blah. What are you trying to tell me? Blah, 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 blah. Come again? Yeah, they always, yeah, everything is done twice or three times for comic effect. And by the way, to further my reading of the film, you will notice, look, we expect George C. Scott to talk like a Patty Chayefsky character. He's the lead in a Patty Chayefsky script, and he's George C. Scott, who can handle dialogue as well as anybody who's ever lived. For the most part, the other characters don't talk like Patty Chayefsky characters. They 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 read out uh, hospital jargon, but they don't really, they don't talk in giant, you know, a 15-minute monologues until we get to Diana Rigg in the middle and later with Bernard Hughes. Yeah, Bernard Hughes. Uh, um, but again, it's literally one of the things that's like, oh, finally he meets a character who sounds like him, who talks like him. <laughs> and Diana Rigg, she's so cool. Like, I wanted to be her. I was like watching her, like how she talks and stuff. And I'm like, man, I wish I was a Patty Chayefsky character. <laughs> she's just so like sure of herself and how she interfaces, as Roger said, like with George C. Scott, like mm-hmm. it's really difficult to do when he's that volcanic and he's really erupting on screen. And she just does such we a were good talking, job. We were talking about mm-hmm. other people that I, was, uh, that I think. Yeah, Quentin threw out some really good alter, think, alternate I, casting ideas. I think I came up with a better one, though. And I think it's one of the reasons why they went with Diana Rigg. I, I, I think she was supposed to be British. I'm sure when Patty Chayesky was writing it, he was writing it for Julie Christie. Oh yeah, because you before you mentioned uh, Diane Keaton, yeah, I did, which yeah. I thought was a great a great yeah. casting choice as well. But I, mean, I I bet you I bet you they never got off of the Julie Christie idea, and the, so they say, well, let's keep it British. And either Julie Christie turned it down, or they decided not to, you know, because George C. Scott and Julie Christie are in Batulia together, mm-hmm. and they said maybe let's not do a Batulia reunion. <laughs> Well, Diana Rigg rises to the occasion, and during that rape, it was just so weird to see the juxtaposing of him trying to be violent, mm-hmm. like trying to do mm-hmm. like a violent rape, mm-hmm. and her kind of – she's making love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, like caressing him and holding his face, and and it was just yeah. like these – she's giving, it was jarring yeah. watching those two clash her, together. She's giving herself to him, but she's also comforting him. I mean, she's like you – know, She wants she, him. She's provoked this. Yeah, yes. I mean, in today's day and age – it was just startling and shocking to, yeah, yeah. to see. And, and I actually, I, I know, Dad, you have a problem with that scene afterwards where it's like, I love you, you love me. Just because it feels a little stagey to me. It does feel a little stagey, but I like the moment where it's like he's kind of, afterwards she leaves and he's grumbling and he opens up the window and he's like, okay, God damn it, I do love you, okay? Like, yeah, yeah. he just like calls I have less of the a problem. Of, I have less of a problem with that now that uh, yeah. I've I've heard a, an alternate... Mm. Potential but also I would Roger all, Avery style yeah. reading, but Gala will, Avery style reading. But I will also, <laughs> but I will also say I kind of like that. No, I want you to quit and you you go with me. I like the fact that it, all of a sudden it it threw a fun little plot into the movie. Out of uh, everything has been so fucking grim, 
And now it's just a simple, like, look, you were going to kill yourself yesterday, so the one and not run off with me uh, for a romantic idol. What do you've got to fucking lose? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, also, what I like in that scene, though, is what she tells him is, like, you can be a doctor down in Mexico. Like, they really need you there. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. you can be a doctor again. Because he's at that crossroads where he isn't really practicing medicine anymore. He is just training all these other doctors. And it's just... Like, yeah. he's not really doing what his passion I, is. I anymore. actually really like his justification after that, where she's like, you know, you could make a difference. He's like, what, you think I'm not making a difference here? In the in the biggest hospital in, like, yeah. uh, what are they, in New York? Yeah. In New York? <laughs> and then she just always goes, but you just tried to kill yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I, of how useless you felt. <laughs> that is a really fun little dynamic. Yeah. For those of you that watched the movie before the episode comes out, you should watch it again with Quentin's reading. I think I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch it again with your reading because I think your reading is right. And for those of you that haven't seen the movie yet, go in and witness and experience and have fun. Uh, <laughs> don't. Yes, experience and have fun. <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of fun during this week. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Don't stream this on Amazon because there is an audio desync issue. I've reported it to the website. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, it is fixed. But there's nothing worse. It's happened to me once or twice before on the platform, but there's nothing worse. Instead, you should stream this on Vudu, V-U-D-U. They actually have a high-def quality but really, you should get the key home video. Mm-hmm. I agree. The key home video was fantastic. Um, I got mine for $25 from Frankie Latina's Video Vault. Frankie Latina. And I will read that the uh, the tape number at Video Archives. Is that this was uh, in the comedy section under H. And the tape number is 2373. First Geronimo, then Cochise, and now the bloodiest Apache of them all. Osana. What do you think Osana's intentions are? Their probable intention is to burn, maim, torture, and murder. Where will he fight us? You don't mean to fight you no place, Lieutenant. He only means to kill you. Burt Lancaster in Osana's Raid. Osana's Raid with Cohits, The Hospital, and Steel will be playing for two nights on Tuesday, May 2nd and Wednesday, May 3rd at the new Beverly Cinema. Don't miss this Video Archives triple feature the way that Quentin and Roger intended it. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For tickets and more information, visit thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema. Always on film. And we're back with our second film. Uh, Our second film that we've done on the show so far, directed by Robert Aldrich. And this is his 1972 Western, Uzana's Raid, starring Burt Lancaster and Bruce Davidson, Richard Jekyll, and Jorge Luke. I'm a, always been a big, big fan of Uzana's Raid. It's written by uh, Alan Sharp, who wrote the script for The Last Run that we had done earlier. He also wrote the script for Night Moves and for another really terrific Western called uh, The Hired Hand. And Uzana's Raid has always kind of been my uh, favorite script of his. I, the Last Run might be uh, competing with it now, because uh, I really really held on to the last run since we watched it again. Uh, so, Damnation uh, Alley. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of my childhood uh, ecstatic experiences. I'm down, I'm, I'm down for Every time I hear Alan Sharp, I have to scream out, 
Damnation Alley. I'm down with us watching Damnation Alley sometime. Okay, so here is the uh, uh, me reading the back of the box for you, Zana's Raid. Violence begets violence in this explosive Western that pits marauding Apaches against weary Indian fighters and naive U.S. cavalrymen. Burt Lancaster stars in this sharply written, fact-based story as a scout assigned to aid the cavalry in tracking down Uzana and his band of renegade Indians. As the trail gets hotter, Lancaster attempts to teach an idealistic young lieutenant that the only way to fight the Apaches' escalating brutality and violence is with even stronger force. Robert Aldrich directs this gritty action epic sure to excite both the senses and the intellect. And you would find this in the Western section under you. So I've always been uh, uh, a big fan of Yuzana's Raid for a couple of different reasons. One, I really like the script. I love a lot of the performances in the film. But one of the things that I really appreciate the most is Alan Sharp was one of the, he's a Scottish writer and he's one of the foremost authorities of screenwriters when it came to the history of the American West and especially of uh, uh, the realities of the U.S. Cavalry Apache Wars. And now one of the things about Robert Aldrich from the late 60s on is he was very affected by the Vietnam War. He never made a Vietnam War movie per se, but he dealt with the Vietnam War in like a few of his films. Uh, Dirty Dozen has a Vietnam aspect. It's one of the reasons that why the uh, the film was so popular, because it has a very anti-military aspect at a time that there was a high anti-military aspect uh, to the country because of the war. Yuzana's Raid is a complete Vietnam allegory, as as was other Indian blue coat Westerns of that time. Uh, Little Big Man mm-hmm. was another one. And uh, Ralph Nelson's Soldier Blue is is another one. And then he goes and makes Twilight's Last Gleaming, which is just a movie where he can just vent his entire feelings about uh, the Vietnam War. Now, there was a lot of Vietnam allegories made uh, in the first half of the 70s because for whatever reason, they weren't allowed to make. No one wanted to actually commit to actually making a real movie about Vietnam. Too soon. Yeah. And uh, and in a world where Ciro H. Santiago has 30 movies made about <laughs> Vietnam, watching uh, uh, Vietnam War allegories seem a little quaint. The exception to me is Ozana's Raid. I think it's one of the most realistic movies about the Apache Wars and uh, uh, the U.S. Cavalry. This is really a war movie. It's not really a Western. This takes the Apache Wars as a genuine military conflict. And it matches up to the whole idea of the Vietnam War because uh, with the Apaches, like the Vietnamese, you have a guerrilla army. Yeah, they're terrorists, basically. You have a guerrilla army fighting using the terrain in a, as the, in a way that only they know how, a terrain that they know backwards and forwards, against a giant military machine mm-hmm. that only has shock and awe at its disposal. But in a guerrilla war, shock and awe is, uh, can be a, just as much a hindrance as anything else. Mm-hmm. The Apaches are coming from the same place the Vietnamese are coming from. Uh, we are resistance fighters fighting the occupying army. This and is the, our home. And the only thing... you. Know, to, to put as much death and blood and suffering on the occupiers is the goal. Now, Yuzana's Raid tells the particular story of a bunch of Indians uh, living on the reservation 
in Arizona. And they've, they've long since given up their freedom, long since moved to uh, the agency, what they call them the agency, long since moved to being fed by the agency, long since uh, uh, moved to the reservation. And Yuzana, and it's suggested about maybe nine to 12 other Apaches went with him to go off on a raid. Now, a raid is to go and literally, they're on their way to Mexico and they're going to burn, rape, murder and pillage everybody that comes in their path uh, on their course to Mexico. And they have such a reputation yeah. of commitment mm-hmm. to the terror mm-hmm. that they inflict yeah. that people in this reality are so terrified mm-hmm. of encountering them or being caught with them mm-hmm. that they would rather shoot themselves dead yes. than fight a bunch of screaming Apaches. Yeah, or or more more to be captured by a bunch of screaming Apaches. And what's yeah, nothing? To nothing is worse than that. They will play with you for fun. Yeah, nothing. I mean, and by play with you, I mean they will vivisect you slowly for fun. And the point is made very clearly that Yuzana is just a regular Indian. He's not some like great warrior. He's not this like legendary chief. No, he's just. Uh, it's described very well by Jorge Luke as uh, Kenate in the film. It's like. Nah, he's just a man who's he's got the he's got the agency smell in him. He he this, he's, he has the smell of the dog. He has the smell of the woman. He has the smell of the agency clothes. He has the smell of this. Yeah, you know, he he needs new smell. He needs the smell of fire. He needs the smell of burn burning. He needs the smell of blood. He needs the smell of uh, 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 the horses. Um, so Yuzana goes off on his raid, and so a young. Know nothing, uh, uh, Lieutenant, straight out of uh, West Point, played by uh, Bruce Davidson, is assigned the task of uh, of going out, capturing and apprehending Yuzana and his and his people, and bringing them back. And he's and he's given an extremely experienced Indian scout and the guys of Burt Lancaster playing a character named Macintosh, who understands the terrain and understands the Apaches in a way that uh, Bruce Davidson or none of the other blue coats. That are after them uh, have an understanding of, and Burt Lancaster has his own assistant, which is an uh, Apache working with him, named Kinete, played by the uh, famous uh, um, Mexican movie star Jorge Luke, who was just fantastic in the film. And so it's this posse, basically. the The, the army's more of a posse than anything else, uh, but you know, it's a true military conflict because they can't quite catch them the way that they're going. And then uh, the smallness of the Apaches and their brutality towards situations are going to always give them the slight edge. Uh, yeah, Aldrich sets this up so that we understand, like the you know all the military action as it as it plays out. He explains that the reason they can do what they can do and get the distance they can is because they will drive their horses into the ground and then they'll just steal more yeah. and then continue on. And then, yeah. For example, they'll use unconventional means to achieve what they need to achieve. It's very interesting because Izan is very much like a general uh, uh, plotting and scheming and strategizing. and But for the most part, so is Burt Lancaster. You know, uh, yeah. and uh, and it's very interesting when they when there becomes a break in the strategy. And think, oh, hey, that could kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And Burt Lancaster, from from his perspective, it's like we are playing a kind of three-dimensional chess type game and one false move, you die. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, one false move, he gets us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And so he's constantly using his experience and his oh, understanding they make, they make, they make the mistake. of the Apache people. They yeah. make the mistake. Well, we're going to just keep on going until somebody makes a mistake. And when somebody makes a mistake, they're going to die. Yeah, that's how it goes. 
So I've been a big fan of this movie for a long time, and I was uh, happy to uh, finally get a chance to show it to you. Roger, what did you think of uh, Uzan's Raider? Yeah. I was absolutely blown away because I was not expecting – I mean, I know Aldrich is a director of you know masculine brutality, yeah. that he's good at that. But I wasn't really expecting him to embrace it so deeply. Mm-hmm. And like there came that moment where I couldn't believe what my eyes were looking at mm-hmm. when he was showing the extent to which the Apaches would go mm-hmm. in like, you know, cutting somebody up. And they're shocking off. Ripping out their heart and then yeah, throwing yeah. it around like a like a softball and yeah, playing yeah. with it. Like uh-huh. they're just having fun. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just their way of having fun. And so I wasn't really prepared. I was as prepared as Bruce Davison. I heard Bruce Davison um, in an interview on the on, on the Blu-ray mm-hmm. or the DVD. He gave a, a hilarious story, which was like a total like story that would happen with mm-hmm. Roger Avery. <laughs> like he um, when he first met with Robert Aldrich. He was young and he was such a big fan and he was just so excited. And it's like, he's just like this young kid and he's meeting with Robert Aldrich. who's like one of his heroes and he meets with them and he's like, oh, sir, I just have to tell you, I am your biggest fan. I loved the sand pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Aldrich says, wow, that's uh, that's fine, kid, except that was directed by Robert Wise. You got the job. <laughs> and it was because he said, he later told him, he said, it's because you were innocent and an asshole all at once. Like you didn't know enough <laughs> to, to be smart about it. And that's who this kid is. Well, you know, it, 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 it was a total Roger moment. Like I would have absolutely done yeah. that. Like, uh, congratulated brother and De Palma on for, the King Kong. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on King Kong. I would have completely made that boneheaded mistake. But that was what got him the the part because his character is meant to. He's there because he wants to be there. No, Robert Aldrich is he, like he's foolishly one. They're yeah. they, they're like, oh, I'm sorry you got sacked with this uh, mm-hmm. this detail, kid. You're out here in you know Apache country. Oh no, I wanted to see action. Like he yeah, did. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to send you after Olzana. Thank you, sir. It's not a present. <laughs> Don't thank me. I'm not doing you any favors. He keeps thanking everybody. Like, okay, stop that. All right. And so the idea taking that. Bruce Davison character and then, you know, clashing him with like, I mean, coming off of George C. Scott, another man of, you know, heroic levels of mm-hmm. testosterone, yeah, uh-huh. you know, Lancaster, who's, who's just incredible on screen, yeah. you know, in, 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 in downplaying everything. He's so incredible on screen. You know, uh, Bruce Davison is, you know, getting uppity and yeah. dancing around oh, and well, complaining. My, and One of my favorite, one of my favorite showboating. <laughs> like, one of my favorite lines that Burt Lancaster has in the, in the film is uh, they're trying to figure out how uh, far ahead Yuzan is and they have a horse apple and uh, they're picking it up and Kennete, the Indian scout is there. Burt Lancaster, well, Kennete says uh, this horse apple is about a, uh, 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 four hours old, so uh, that means that they're you know four hours ahead up there. He goes, "Well, do you agree with him?" <laughs> I'm not going to argue with an Apache about horseshit. <laughs> he wrote the book. <laughs> you know, um, there were moments in this that I'm sure uh, the Coen brothers, when they did Buster Scruggs, mm-hmm. must have like been in love with Uzana's raid. I can imagine that. I can imagine the Coen brothers having a, a, a healthy appreciation for Uzana's raid because that. Um, depiction of what it must be like to encounter terror, mm-hmm. true terror, mm-hmm. like those uh, those Apaches coming at you. Mm-hmm. He captures in this. 
this is a very real harsh reality. This is the real world. This movie is based on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, real characters. It takes place in around 1886. Grover Cleveland, I think, was uh, president at the mm-hmm. time. He comes in a long line of banker presidents, <laughs> and you know, who are just wanting to push west and you know open up those lands for development. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they they Aldrich captures this world and he infuses it super brightly, and it mm-hmm. feels intensely contemporary to me. Now, oddly enough, Yuzana's Raid has a bit of a companion piece in another movie. And that's a movie from the uh, late 70s called Go Tell the Spartans. Oh, yeah. Which was like, like the second of the, the, the big, big Vietnam movies that came out. First one was, uh, uh, which is magnificent, uh, uh, Boys and Company C. Mm-hmm. Go Tell the Spartans was the second one. It, too, stars Burt Lancaster. And uh, it's directed, uh, it's like the only, the closest thing that uh, Ted Post, the kind of hacky action director, uh, uh, closest thing he ever did to like an art film. But it matches up with Yuzana's Ray because to one degree or another, the uh, the general or the colonel that Burt Lancaster plays seems like the Macintosh character. Or also, Yuzana's Raid is a Vietnam War allegory uh, made about the uh, U.S. cavalry conflict with the Indians. Go Tell the Spartans is a Western Indian military allegory played out in Vietnam. <laughs> it's like the, it literally is, the mirror image It literally of this movie. is the flip side. <laughs> I will say uh, something I've loved is on his raid. I've been on record for loving is on his raid. I even wrote a review for it for the New Beverly website. Um, I've been wanting to show it to you for a long time. Uh, I liked it a little less this time than I have before. Uh, I think the scene with the with the German uh, 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 rancher left to his own. I think that's a corny scene. I think that actor is a corny actor. I think the way he plays it, he plays it in a corny way. He plays it like a like a German immigrant. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that guy's famous for that guy is in a zillion western. He's, and he's always he's the Dutch. Yeah, he always plays he's the, the Dutch. Guy. Yeah, he's the Dutch guy. He's the German guy. He's the Swedish guy. He's yeah. a Swedish uh, gunsmith. All right, Carl Svensson, I think is his name. Uh, um, but also the. Uh, the woman who's uh, who's uh, saved from the Apaches and her washing it off. Oh, I have to wash it off. It's it's all done in this corny, heightened way that is uh, uh, Paul wouldn't do that. Well, that's why the the moments of extreme violence were so intense to me because yeah. the movie feels like a kind of. Mm-hmm older style film. And then suddenly it has these strikingly modern. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, 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 Lancaster's not corny and Richard Jekyll isn't corny. All no, right? he's you great. Know. Yeah. Uh, but there's like, you know, but the, uh, 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 Lloyd Bachner is in it, you know, and he's a cornball or, you know, uh, <laughs> all these guys, you know, it, it, it's, and also Aldrich was not helped by his lovely associates. Cause that was like their credit. The associates and Aldrich was not always helped as the 60s went into the 70s, by his associates. They kept him in a style of filmmaking that is more 62 mm. than 72. Uh, music by Duvall. Duvall's terrible, all right? Uh, uh, I don't like Joseph Bracoli, his cinematographer, at all. It just looks like television. It's, it's, it's better. Yuzana's Raid is better than most because it's, well, because God's your fucking gaffer yeah, yeah. out there <laughs> in, in Arizona. Uh, nevertheless, he doesn't do him any favors. But by comparison, you look at how Don Siegel uh, 
Don Siegel in the 60s went through a, a corny period too when he was basically just making uh, TV movies for Universal. But then his group of associates, Bruce Surtees on the camera, mm-hmm. Lalo Schifrin as a cinematographer, Dean Reisner and Howard Rodman as, as writers, they took Siegel into the 70s. They He was still a modern filmmaker. Dirty Harry is completely and utterly a yeah. modern film. All right. And there's no corny elements to it. And not like this. All right. But so that's a situation where those, uh, uh, where the associates can actually ch- take a director, move them over to a new generation, move them to a new style of filmmaking. That didn't happen with uh, 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 Aldrich. And I've never felt that way about Yuzana's Ray. But after seeing it 12 times or so, watching it the last time, uh, that still corny thing is still kind of there. Yeah. I mean, the only clumsy moment I felt lost opportunity. And as you're talking about that actor, the, I can't, the Carl Swenson, Carl Svensson, but the moment where he hears the bugle yeah, yeah. and he's lulled to the outside and we kind of know what's happening. Well, we, we, yeah, we get it. But then we're forget ro- about that. They stretch it out. But right. then, yeah. But then with all the, the, the dedication to viscera mm-hmm. <laughs> that Aldrich is giving us, he robs us of that moment, which is, I mean, should have been no, a great I, moment. And then he tries to use the next shot, which is a shot on, of, uh, oh, yeah, of, of the horse of the bugle. And that's just clumsy. And it's just clumsy. It's, okay, yeah. the, bu- the bugle is not being used because it's on the guy's hip, so they're not there. But like, but that, that's a, but that's that was cl- that really was, lame. That, that's <laughs> clumsy filmmaking, and that's not clear to an audience what he was Correct. trying to do. I had to struggle myself. Yeah, too. I knew. I've seen it a bunch of times, so I saw. I, I knew what he was trying to do, but he didn't do it. And also. It's a real cop-out in that scene because that's the one of the random incidences that you get to see, kind of see from beginning to end. So you wanted to, so it's not that you just wanted to see gruesomeness, even though I have no problem with that. Uh, It was, I wanted to see it taken to its logical conclusion. Well, yeah, this is- And not just just told in the aftermath. This is supposedly happening at every farmstead from there to Mexico. I wanted that entire vignette played out to one degree or another from beginning to end, not just see an aftermath. Yeah, I agree. And we're back, and we're now joined by the lovely Gala Avery. So, Gala, what did you think of Yuzana's Raid? Well, this was my very first time watching it. And I have to ask, because we talked a lot about it in the Choir Boys and our discussion on Aldrich. This is like when he had Aldrich Studios, right? Or this no? Is, no. He had just lost Aldrich Studios. So he had just lost it. So oh, yeah. This was his, like, I need to do something need to, to need, get back in the game. Yeah. I mean, and which is actually, which is, I'm glad you actually bring that up, because it actually is one of the strong points about the movie is Aldrich made so much money on uh, The Dirty Dozen that he was able to buy his own studio, which is Aldrich Studios. And then he proceeded yeah. to do four or five movies that nobody was interested in, nobody went and saw. And he ended up losing the studio. This is him throwing his hat back in the ring with the kind of movie you would imagine Robert Aldrich would do, a, 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 a tough Gritty, violent western starring a, a, a an Eisenhower actor uh, like Burt Lancaster. This is him curring favor to get back in the studios after going his own way, and he still makes a very uncompromising, very tough movie. This is not some John Wayne vehicle. This is not a Burt Kennedy movie. This is this is this is strong stuff. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I've really enjoyed working on the podcast so far is whenever we have a Western, it's like we've covered like spaghetti Westerns. We've covered, uh, I mean, Russell's Rhapsody is like a play on 40s Westerns and kitty matinees, et cetera, et cetera. 
so watching Alzana's raid, I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly like a 70s Western. It's like really early 70s, uh, 72. But like, it doesn't feel like a 70s Western to me. And I think that's what you were talking about earlier with Aldrich. It's like he is kind of not stuck in 62, but he's still kind of back there a little bit. He's still, you know, he's still kind of back there a little bit. He's making really rough movies for 1962. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, that <laughs> sequence where I'm not going to describe the whole thing, but I was I was a little bit, of, not like asleep, but I was like sitting there thinking, like, okay, it's like a Western, like I'm getting into it. And then that sequence where it was like, soldier, soldier, don't leave me. And it's the woman on the wagon yeah, yeah. and she oh starts shrieking. Yeah. Oh my God, I actually gasped audibly. I almost couldn't watch. My hand, I, fa- I found myself holding my breath with my hand over my mouth mm-hmm. at just the brutal violence that ensued. Like it woke me up and I was like, okay, this is what I'm in for in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking. It did not disappoint. Uh, that scene is like a standout scene yeah. for me. And in the this. stunts in this are absolutely the horse stunts. The horse stunts. Well, I mean, the, uh, wow. even beyond the horse stunts, I mean, there's that guy getting clotheslined oh, off yeah, of the horse, yeah. where he literally rides at full speed and gets clotheslined mm-hmm. and flips over and like lands into the you know into the, the dirt, di- the dirt and rocks, <laughs> the dirt and rocks. Like you see him hit the ground, and it's like holy cow. Okay. Uh, I was going to complain about all the tripwires on horses and how intense that is to watch with my sensibilities today. But the people are going through the exact same stuff. Aldrich is putting everybody through that uh, th- that level of stuff. There's not a horse that doesn't get shot in this movie that doesn't do a fucking somersault. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. It's It's hard to watch it sometimes. And then it's also like, like, wow, I, there is a commitment to, it's weird. to getting I, it in this. It's weird. I, I thought running W's were uh, outlawed by 72. All right. You know, uh, uh, this could also could have just been very skilled laydowns, you know, without wires. No, 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 there's no. that one somersault no, where they the goes ass. like down the hill. No, no, no. I'm the, trying, I'm trying, ass. I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt. The ass <laughs> does not go up into a, uh, pointing at a satellite. Yeah. All so right. if you, I mean, if you have sensitivity to that sort of, uh, uh, seeing that, then this might not be the movie you want to um, tune into. Well, it look, at least at least look, know that at least know what you're getting into. Look, it wasn't against the law back then, so that's what it is. Uh, you know, uh, 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 but uh, but I thought it was against the law by '72. I mean, you know, maybe they shot it in Mexico, all right, where they yeah. were able to be, they'd be able to do it. But that doesn't sound right. I'm sure they shot it in Arizona. I, I think I think actually I, when I was they researching, actually, they did shoot it in Arizona, New Mexico. I think. This is a big studio film with uh, yeah, yeah. Burt Lancaster. If, if it's outlawed, they're not they're not doing it. Bruce Davidson's character, I I found him very endearing because it's like he is just like the good Christian that just believes that like mm-hmm. the good is out there and stuff, and like he still has problems killing. Yeah, he wants to be like a good Christian to he, the uh, the people who want to kill him in he, the worst way possible. Yeah, and he wants to give them all Christian burials, which. Yeah. In his heart is a good thing, but obviously that's not what the Apaches want. Yeah. So. And then, and then, it's like a good thing, except he keeps assigning uh, Jorge, Jorge Luca yeah, to, to do it. To yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have the Indian bury these, you know, uh, give them a Christian burial. Well, it's a, well, it's Does a, that make sense? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's, a, it's it's an interesting dynamic he has because, uh, 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 Bruce Davidson, because, uh, you know, he wants to be the thinking man and he wants to be the compassionate person and he wants to be the son of the minister. Well, at the same time, being uh, a cavalry officer, it goes from being a cadet to a warrior. Yeah, and but then he's so appalled by what he sees in the aftermath of the Apaches leave that he turns into into the biggest Apache hater. Yeah, in the course of it, he completely switches personality yeah. at a certain point. War, by its nature, yeah. will turn you into a fascist. And it and it you know and and uh, his little 
journey is is part of the growth of the movie. It's actually very interesting because Aldrich talks about it. For instance, the character of Dabun, which is uh, the Bruce Davidson character, goes the character of Dabun, for instance, in uh, Yuzana's raid. He's wrong, and he does a bunch of shit the audience doesn't like, but you never really hate him because it's not clear he doesn't know shit. <laughs> He just doesn't know what's going on. He's in over his head. He doesn't he, know. He knows as much as anybody in the audience probably knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. he's our eyes mm-hmm. into the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we go in, you know, wanting good out of the world, and then we realize, no, the world is a hard place. But I think there is an aspect, uh, like, from watching it with some other friends of mine uh, at times, it's like, when when Bruce Davidson uh, punishes uh, uh, Kinete, all right, for what the other Apaches did by, uh, by uh, taking his horse away and making him run... With all the shit Yuzana does, you actually hate Bruce Davidson more for doing that yeah. than any of the murders that happened earlier yeah. in the film. Yeah. It's funny. Bruce Davidson talks about uh, Joaquin Martinez, who plays Ulzana. Yeah. I love and, this. And, and uh, what a what a fabulous actor he was. He's a Latino actor. And how, how, how much he loved being with them. And he said, oh, he was great. He would say things like, sometimes people get too big and they want refried beans flown in from Guadalajara. <laughs> I thought that was an amazing quote. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I'm level-headed. <laughs> so as the back of the box said, this is loosely based on real events that occurred. Um, so I did just like a little bit of digging, just scratch the surface. I'm sure there's lots more that can be said about this. But um, Alzana's raid is actually based on a real Tsokanede Apache warrior named Olzana, whose nickname is also translated to Tanned Buckskin or the Big Buckskin. Um, in November 1885, Brigadier General George Crook had been pursuing Apache war parties that were led by Geronimo and Chief Chihuahua. Cook learned that 11 of these Apaches were being led by Chihuahua's brother, Olzana. Olzana had split off from the larger group, eluded Crawford, and raced past the soldiers who had been placed along the Mexican-American border. So he enacted his raid, and also just sheer terror, with only 11 Mogollon warriors, rode 12,000 miles, killed 36 Pindaw and Mexicans, terrified settlers, cowboys, miners, stole stock, and made fun of 2,000 soldiers before he was captured. During the raid, he only lost one soldier who was actually killed by a fellow Apache, <laughs> and escaped to Mexico. He surrendered in December along with um, his brother Chihuahua and also Chief Nana, and he was kept on reservation until 1909 when he died. The movie is like an amalgamation of this clearly because it's like mm-hmm. how it plays out, but I I liked this fact, though, that he only lost one soldier who was actually killed by a fellow Apache because yeah. I think it plays really well into how they chose to wrap up Ulzana's raid yeah, yeah, yeah. in the end of this without mm-hmm. giving too much away. I thought that was kind of like a nice historical nod to the real history of what happened. I, I also thought it was really interesting that um, Jorge Luca's character, Kenate, I don't want to say he's the traitor to the Apache. Well, he but, is. So but he's kind of the traitor to the Apache, and he's kind of the hero of the movie also. Now, and, it, and then by the very end, we realize this might be personal for him. Mm-hmm. That he's the brother-in-law? He's the brother-in-law. He's the brother-in-law of, he's the brother-in-law of, of, Uzana, yeah. of Ulzana. And so when they meet up in the end, I get the feeling like, you know, maybe he's less of a traitor than I thought he was while watching the movie. I still think he's a traitor. I mean, you know, the, the, you know uh, 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 look, I, I, I think he's one of the coolest characters in the movie. And, and I think the movie even knows that. There is an aspect. It's one of the things I like about the story. Burt Lancaster is obviously the, your star. And 
Bruce Davidson is obviously kind of your lead character, yeah. so to speak. Like the character is going to change. Your window to the world. Yeah. But you really kind of dig this Kenate character sending off to the side with his- like, Handsome uh, and long yeah, hair. And his uncanny ability to figure the, 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 they can't do anything unless yeah. Kenate tells them what time it is. And his desert wisdom <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, he, yeah. that he gives out. Yeah. <laughs> unless he tells them what time it is. But that's the truth. <laughs> it's so funny though. <laughs> no, we're going to just, we're going to have to wait here 45 minutes till Kenate comes back because he's the only one that can read the fucking tracks. All right. <laughs> But then as uh, as it goes into its third act, Kenetepa starts becoming more important and more important. And then they purposely, in a really great Alan Sharp way, he's very good at that, of, of having a character get shot or something. And then, no, it's not just a, th- a little thing. No, it's going to fuck them up. Yeah, it doesn't matter if, I'm not talking about anything in this movie, but it doesn't matter if a character gets shot in the lake. He could die for that, all right? Mm-hmm. He's not going to die today, but he's going to die like uh, eight days from now. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a, a common thing in an Alan Sharp uh, 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 Western script. And so in a really cool way, Burt Lancaster gets waylaid in a really exciting event that happens in the third act, which allows Kenate to literally take over the lead of the movie. He becomes the hero of the film in the third act. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Burt Lancaster and Robert Aldrich's relationship with each other, because... I'm sure, as we all know, Burt Lancaster also stars in Apache, mm-hmm. um, where he actually plays yeah, yeah. an Apache, who is the last Apache, and I think he's versus the Cherokee in that yeah, movie. Yeah. Okay, so I'm watching this on the Kino Lorber Blu-ray. The Blu-ray has several special features on it. One is an audio commentary with film critic Nick Pinkerton, which I did not listen to yet. Um, there is a Trailers from Hell, shout out to Joe Dante, with John Landis. And then there's this interview with Bruce Davidson. Okay, so... Which was super entertaining. Which was really entertaining. But then Bruce Davidson starts talking about the falling out that Burt Lancaster... I can tell you about this. I know. Oh, yeah, you never, okay. yeah, tell Great. us about it because he apparently never he, spoke to him again. Yeah, apparently he never spoke to him again. So I was really curious about this, especially with... Apparently it was over the edit. That, yeah, hated, that's what he, he said. He hated the ending because then Bruce Davidson later comments on... Yeah, Bert and I used to sit around and talk about how great it would be to have like this big Vista ending. You know, the cavalry is going by a big Kubrickian shot. He actually mm-hmm. said Kubrickian shot and, you know, showing this magnificent Vista and, you know, Bert would be mm-hmm. laying there and, you know, the cavalry would be going by this big shot. And instead it's, you know, a shot of, yeah, he, it's a close up of a cigarette. On the close of the cigarette, which like I thought- Barely getting into his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought was like a really weird thing to end it on. So Quentin, what do you know about this? Yeah, tell us. Well, it's not a. It's not. It's not that they never talked to each yeah. other again. All right, because uh, they did try the last gleaming. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Two movies later. Yeah. All right, so Bruce. Uh, there Bruce, you go, Bruce Davidson. There you go uh, with that. All right. Uh, uh, Robert Aldrich was one of the great first ads of all time. He had a producing partner and and, and writer, uh, uh, Ben Hecht, I believe it is Harold oh, Hecht or Ben Hecht. Ben right? Hecht, yeah. Uh, so they started a company, Lancaster Aldrich and Hecht Productions. And so they did a, a Apache together. Robert Aldrich had already done a few films by this point in time, but Apache's his first real movie that was a, like a hit with a big star. Then they followed it up with Aldrich's biggest movie at that time, which was Vera Cruz, which was a big, big mm-hmm. smash for both uh, Lancaster and uh, Aldrich. And also stars Gary Cooper and you know, Ernest Borgnine's in it, and Charles Bronson's in it. It's a terrific film. Real predecessor to the Spaghetti Westerns. During Vera Cruz, because Lancaster was one of the uh, producers of it, uh, him and Aldrich started having problems because Lancaster really wanted to be a director at this mm-hmm. point. Okay. And 
Lancaster, like, it, it started really taking over Lancaster's career that he really wanted to direct. And since he felt he'd given Aldrich the shot with Vera Cruz, he started imposing more ideas and more ideas on him uh, until Aldrich couldn't handle it anymore. And so after Vera Cruz was over, that was it. They split up. Then uh, Lancaster uh, directed a, a film called, and I'm looking at it right now, in the uh, uh, the Kentuckian. All right, in the mm-hmm. uh, under the uh, uh, keep going, keep going, keep okay. going. There you go. That's it. Okay, so Lancaster. Uh, 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 just, Gala just reaches over and yeah, pulls yeah. it from the shelves. The western section is right behind me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he directed this movie called The Kentuckian, which is only okay. It has one terrific shot in it. But anyway, after Lancaster got a chance to direct his own movie, then he stopped kind of being so demonstrative about the directors doing his movies. And so they hadn't worked together throughout all the 60s, and then comes the 70s, then they worked together on Uzana's Raid. And it was a big deal, Lancaster coming back. And he wanted the role. He really, really wanted the role. And so he wanted to, you know, make things right with Aldrich. And then they uh, proceeded to, I can believe that they disagreed about the ending, but they, like, literally, they worked together again, like, three years later, in mm-hmm. 1977. Well, f- four years later, uh, with Twilight's Last Gleaming. This is not available for streaming, as mm-hmm. far as I can tell. I'm sure someone out there will send me a link and say, hey, it is available on this website. Um, but I picked up a Kino Lorber Blu-ray, and it is really gorgeous. So if you don't have... A... I actually would like to borrow that Blu-ray well, so, I can listen, so I can listen to the Bruce Davidson interview and maybe even listen to the commentary track. Yeah, there you go, Quentin. You may definitely borrow it. Yeah, he, he, he quotes Aldrich. And one of my favorite quotes is... The actors will step out of the hot burning lights. <laughs> that was how he would end a shot. <laughs> uh, at one point when I was watching the Blu-ray, Roger walked by and he said, wow, the VHS really looks like the Blu-ray. The VHS actually was shockingly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Beautiful. Universal. The, the Universal did good transfers, man. Yes. Yeah. So I picked up an MCA VHS just like the one in Video Archives for $25 from Frankie Latino's Video Vault. Again, Frankie Latina. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, we're actually kind of cheating here. We did not watch it on video. We watched it on Laserdisc. That's and it true. was gorgeous. Yes. Well, that's why it looks That's right. That, actually, yeah, now that you mention it, that's why. You didn't tell me that part. That's why. You know what? You're right. You're right. But it had that weird uh, sides side thing like that was, that wasn't his problem <laughs> <laughs> Steel with Cohits, The Hospital and Alzana's Raid will be playing for two nights on Tuesday May 2nd and Wednesday May 3rd at the new Beverly Cinema don't miss this video archives triple feature the way that Quentin and Roger intended it 7165 Beverly Boulevard Los Angeles California 90036 for tickets and more information, visit thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema, always on film. Okay, and now we're back for our third feature, and we're going to do something a little different this time. So what happens is, uh, as you might have gathered from uh, some of our shows, we finished uh, uh, taping the episode, and then sometimes we watch a movie. Afterwards, So we had finished taping our episode last weekend, and I had a couple of uh, brand new exploitation film prints that came in. And so uh, I asked Roger and Gala if they wanted to stay and watch one of them. Uh, and we ended up watching two. So uh, one of them was we watched uh, American Commandos, Bobby Suarez from yeah. uh, 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 the One-Arm Executioner. Me and Roger, uh, Gala had already gotten us, uh, what was it, the Lightning Home Video or the... Yeah, I think- 
Yeah, I think it was Lightning. Yeah, the Lightning Home video. Uh, so we had actually watched it already on on, on video, and we enjoyed it. Uh, but then I had the prints. So we have to watch the print. And Gala hadn't the seen print it. Was, no, I had actually oh, seen it. Oh, you had seen it, yeah. But like in terrible 240p YouTube. So the other film that we watched is uh, a film I'd seen a couple times at the theaters when it came out, a film called Steel, as in S-T-E-E-L, Steel, Iron Girder Steel, which was a big starring vehicle for Lee Majors. Now, you have to understand, Lee Majors was a big superstar uh, in the 70s on television because of uh, the $6 million. He's basically coming right off of $6 million man when he made this. This is pretty much his big leap out after $6 million man. So he was a, a, a superstar because of Big Valley and $6 million man. Then he's married to Farrah Fawcett uh, Majors, and Which, she becomes yeah, she becomes Makes huge. him only more famous. And then they start Fawcett Majors production. And so the two Fawcett Major productions that Farrah did was her first big studio film and since she became a star was a movie called uh, Somebody Killed Her Husband, where the mm-hmm. romantic comedy with her and Jeff Bridges directed by Lamont Johnson. And then the second one is a, a, a fairly decent, I wouldn't mind doing it on the show, private detective comedy called Sunburn with her and Charles Grodin and um, Art Carney. So Lee Major's two big movies that uh, he was doing through Fawcett Major Productions is uh, Steel, which I think was supposed to be the big one. And then following that up with Killer Fish. Yeah, Killer Fish. Yeah, uh, which was an Italian production directed by Antonio Margheriti. And then then he uh, majors went to Canada and did two movies that both got released. One was a dystopian, uh, futuristic race car movie called The Last Race. Yeah. All right, him and Burgess Meredith and a bunch of Canadian actors. And then another kind of Michael Crichton-style movie called Agency, about uh, ad agencies uh, affecting our minds. Yeah. And it's like Lee Majors. That would never happen. Yeah, Lee Majors, Valerie Perrine, and uh, uh, Robert Mitchum. Anyway, I think Steele has a... A minus storyline, but a B plus plus production. I it's like a it's a bit of a B movie, but they have a lot of money to spend, so it's got a big cast. They're spending it's like money a who's on who of TV. It's like uh, the yeah, yeah. Uh, the the character actors that you've seen in everything. Absolutely, and they've got and they've got the money. They've got the money to spend on the movie. You know, to uh, uh, nothing about it seems rushed. It seems like they had the time to. Uh, uh, do it right. Yeah, they're doing a location shoot in St. Louis. However, unfortunately, this was obviously meant to be a big thing. And I even remember uh, posters for the, the steel poster up. Uh, but something happened along the way. And I think it's just simply a thing where the movie didn't come out around the time they were supposed to come out. And then another year passes. The balloon just didn't take off. And then another half a year passes. And now there's not that excitement about it anymore. You know, they're not pushing it as a Lee Majors, Jennifer O'Neill movie anymore. Now it's simply just a lurid title. So they take the steel title out and call it Look Down and Die. Which and is it, a great title. Which actually is a good title. I would rather. Well, it makes it a much more B-movie title. You know, and it's not a picture of Lee Majors and the other guys. It's just like a guy hanging from a girder, you know, over uh, a, a thousand foot drop, you know, going, ah. You know, like you have to read that Lee Majors is even fucking in. Anyway, uh, so that's how I saw it when it opened. Look down and die. Look down and die. There's like a ellipsis there. Like no, 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 no. Look down and die. Just plain look down and die. Yeah, look down and die. I thought it would be fun to uh, watch the movie with you guys. So we watched it. And 
Like this would be a movie that I would have given uh, a C or a C plus to when I saw it at the theaters. All right. Uh, like I said, the idea I give an A to. All right. But uh, uh, but I wanted to have a print. I haven't seen it in a long time. And so I thought you guys would get a kick out of it. And then so we ended up watching it. And lo and behold, you guys loved it. You absolutely <laughs> loved one. And you made me like it a lot more than I did before. I was really, really enjoying it because you guys were having such a good time. With, it's a movie about America and what makes America great. I kind of agree. Look, I ultimately, I agree with you. I had a really, uh, the, the way that, as much as I love Yuzana's Raid, the way I, I felt a little lesser after watching it this last time, I felt much more bullish about Steel having watched it with you guys. And so uh, we were trying to figure out what to do for the third movie. And then Gala just kept pushing Steel because she wanted to talk about it. Well, what happened was after I watched it, I was like, I, I need to see this movie again because I loved it so much. Okay, well, it's not available on streaming. It never had a DVD. I can only get it on VHS. So I'm going to go get it on VHS because I want my mom and I to watch it together. I think it would be like, a, she, I mean, she loves Lee Majors. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. she wants to watch it. Yeah, she's of the age of like Gil yeah. Gerard and Lee Majors. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. So if I'm going to get a VHS, I'm going to be pushing like, hey, I have a I have a tape of this. Let's do it on the show. It's I, I like it. Well, I, look. Yeah, uh, I think you got two tapes. One that so you could put a tape into video archive. Yeah, I am, so, no, no, I'm I, committing I, a tape to the archives so that it is official. No, so that it's video official. Archives. S, S will go. It'll go in the dramas under S. Yeah, by all means. Uh, in this instance, we're basing it off of a print, not the video cassette. However, we will rectify that because the video cassette's on its way. But we decided to do it anyway because it, we had such fun with it. George Kennedy plays this. Complete builder of buildings, contractor who's a legend in his own time. Like a total George Kennedy stuff. Working man, blue yeah. collar, white collar guy. Yeah, yeah just like he owns like, the company, the, but he's up there with the men. Yeah, the, yeah he, he's the building version of his character, Joe Petroni, in the airport. Movies. Yeah, like yeah. He, he runs that airport by his teeth. Yeah. Right, you know, and his brawn and his muscle. All right. Uh, so Luke Cassidy is building this building. He's in a fight with his brother, played by Harris Eulin. Who runs the trucking company. Yeah, runs the trucking company. Who brings and, the steel to the work yeah. site. And so he has to like, he has to build the building in, in a, uh, a certain time or else uh, he's going to forfeit his contract. Now, it's, a, it's a, a, a tough build and it's a short amount of time, but he can do it. He's Lucasity. He can do it. He can do it. He can do this. And so he's going to do it and he's doing it. And then uh, this happens in the first scene of the movie. An accident happens and uh, Luke Cassidy uh, uh, falls off the building and he dies. And so now his daughter, Cass Cassidy, (laughs) played by the always beautiful uh, Jennifer O'Neill, she gets control of the contract. So either it's a situation where she makes a deal with her uh, uncle, who the two brothers were in constant battle with each other, trying to take over each other's company. So either she makes a deal with her uncle where she gets co- either sort of paid off on, you know, 20 cents on the dollar all right, uh, in order to finish the building. Or she finishes the building in the time that she has. You know, and, Keeps the company solvent. Yeah, and, and fulfills the contract. Now, if she doesn't, she loses everything. She loses the entire company. All right. But if she can fulfill her dad's contract, which her dad could do, but now she has to do it now. And um, and she's like a woman who wears like white throughout the whole movie well, and no, high heels. Well, okay, and- okay. 
Her outfits are absolutely well, stellar okay, that's throughout a th- the that's film. That's a thing on Jennifer O'Neill movies, all right? She always has the best wardrobe of any actress in movies from the 70s. Oh, she's giving Samantha Egger a run for her money. She actually <laughs> does give Samantha Egger a run for her money. And, and the thing about it is also, okay, they never say that Cass Cassidy is a famous model, all right, who has now just risen to the occasion because her dad died. But that's how you watch the movie. Yeah. They never say that, but you just assume that she's a famous model, yeah. all right, who got roped into this and we just missed that one piece of es- exposition dialogue. Uh, so the thing is, uh, so she's got a friend in uh, the labor department uh, played by Art Carney Pignos. And uh, he goes, well, look, if you're going to try to finish this, there's only a couple of guys on planet Earth that could actually do it. And so she tracks down Lee Majors who has walked away from this kind of work as a trucker now, but he was one of the great guys. And if anybody can finish this job in the few weeks that they have, it's Lee Majors. He can do it. And so she talks him into joining the the team, and he does. But he knows that if he's going to do it, he's not going to be able to do it with just these union guys. He's going to need to put together a team of the best guys out there. The Magnificent Seven of construction. And that's where the movie becomes the movie it is. And that's where the movie becomes kind of delicious. As he sets out, just like Yul Brenner and uh, uh, Steve McQueen, uh, to set out that team. So he, so uh, uh, he goes and gets this guy who's like the great high wire walker. He can, he can go in any height. This guy's the great electrician. This guy's the great crane guy. Yeah. And this guy's the demolitions guy. This the, guy's, I, the Irish IRA yeah, demolitions yeah. Yeah, guy. Yeah, there's an the IRA, IRA guy is a demolition guy, yeah. And so as they literally build to put together like the magnificent seven of construction workers and they have the three weeks or the four weeks that they have to finish the building. So in that regards, it plays like a men on a mission movie. It plays like a magnificent seven movie. And it also plays like a sports movie because they either going to build the building at the end or they're not. And if they don't, they lose the game. And you actually are committed to really seeing the progress of the building and to see them to fulfill the contract. So you have, I can't remember the name of the Irish guy who's a demolition expert. You have uh, Albert Sammy playing the crazy old coot who runs the crane. You have Richard Lynch playing his standard bad guy character, except he's the bad guy working with the good guys, but he's still kind of a troublemaker. Yeah. You have Terry Kaiser, who is my least favorite of the group, or he's the Italian Valentino. Valentino. Yeah, the ladies' man. The ladies' man. And then you have uh, 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 two younger guys that want to be part of this amazing team, which is played by uh, Roger E. Mosley, who played uh, Lead Belly. Yeah, yeah. In Lead Belly. And a guy named Hunter Von Leer, who I remember from that time period. When they do their initial wild bunch walk, yeah, yeah, the, the, that's the best scene of the movie. Yeah. When they do their wild, wild bunch walk to the construction site, all right? Because, you know, uh-oh, this is it now. <laughs> and I like how all the other construction workers are like, whoa, look, man, it's so-and-so, it's so-and-so. Whoa, look, at this, the legend whoa, is here. Is this, well, that, guy, that guy's quit years ago. Oh, wow, he's back. Yeah, that stuff is, that stuff is, fucking, that stuff is fucking great. What I love about this movie is how it, it shows all aspects of America, both good and bad, and it brings them all together. And it shows that all these disparaging types, the industrialist, blue-collar workers, indigenous people, immigrants, mm-hmm. and the racist, like mm-hmm. uh, Richard Lynch, mm-hmm. like the kind of, uh, uh, I mean, I can only describe him as mm-hmm. what he is, because that's mm-hmm. he's like, he's a racist, and or a bigot, we mm-hmm. can call a him. Bigot. He's a bigot. Um, you get all these guys together, but they're the ones who are building America out of steel. Yeah. They're building the skyline, the industry. They're building commercial towers. Yeah. 
and and they come together to do it and it's kind of it shows this tapestry of people who normally do not get along mm-hmm. but they get along because they're building the building together and oh. they're up there you know on the girders together men real men walk in the clouds i well, think they say I, yeah well i hadn't thought about it before but you know i mean there is an aspect even though they don't do it in the same way uh there is an aspect of a uh a Howard Hawks Dangerous Profession movie. Oh, it, right. it's exactly a Howard Hawks Dangerous <laughs> Profession movie. Well, like, I mean, it follows. Oh, oh, it follows. Oh, the angels the stru- have wings. It, it follows the structure of it perfectly because Howard Hawks always has somebody die at the beginning, so you see how fucking dangerous the the job is. Yeah, we know how dangerous this yeah. is, and it really. One, you don't need to convince me that walking on iron is dangerous. All right, but and they do a good job of well, making never, you feel that kind of I, uh, I, vertigo. I'm surprised that more movies haven't taken ironworking as as a subject because you really can't go wrong when you get the cameras way up there and yeah. uh, uh, and you have these actors just walking on these these iron girders and as, this movie as if does it's that, nothing. And this movie does that magnificently. These actors are up there moving girders around, walking on. And I, will, and I know that a lot of it is you know just sometimes nah, it's ten but, feet uh, off the they, ground. They still have to even if they're only falling three feet, they still have to walk and not fall off. They've got helicopter thing. shots with George Kennedy up there sitting on a girder on the. Very very, very, yeah, very, yeah. very, very top. I mean, the actors do an amazing job. They all look really comfortable up there. You can tell that they did a lot of work, all right, yeah. to, 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 to get over their, their, their skittishness and to be comfortable up on that iron. And it's, it's very impressive, the work that they must have done to be able to do that. I mean, I love that we're building a commercial tower. We are a tapestry of people coming together to do it, and we're doing it uh, despite all of the interference that we're getting from the corrupt union. Yeah. I mean, if there, if that's, and then they hang an American flag on the building yeah, to yeah. show their achievement and yeah, the, yeah. that we did it against all odds. Well, I mean, this I, is like a great, great, like yeah. almost an inspirational film. Well, I look and I, and like the idea is so much fun and they have a lot of fun with the idea of taking what would normally be a violent adventure in a Western or a war film and taking that and turning it on its head and making it a workplace adventure. You know, the fact that they're the magnificent seven of construction workers, it's a fucking delicious idea. And when they walk like the wild bunch, all right, to the, the, to the site for the first time as everyone's, Oh my God, that one. Oh my God, that guy. Oh my God, this is the greatest team ever. It actually is exciting. It's actually fun. And Oh, Robert Tessier is the other one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. uh, Cherokee. Yeah, Cherokee, who is like literally, like he almost could be playing the bigot. (laughs) Because he looks like a skinhead. Yeah, well, it's Robert Tessier. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he actually is he is of uh, First Nations descent. Yeah. He's an Algonquin mm-hmm. uh, descent. The only negative to me, the only negative is the bad guys. They are and I, and, and Harris Ewan is is a fantastic actor. He's yeah, from stuck. Scarface. You yeah. can't shoot a cop. Yeah, he's you know he's stuck. You know he's stuck with a with the functionary role that he took just for the money. All right, but the thing about it though is. They're perfunctionary. They don't quite work. All right. Uh, the whole fight in the warehouse doesn't, you know, is just is 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 weak sauce. If there was more thoughtfulness to the way the bad guys work, I think this movie could be a complete home run. As it is, I think it's a uh, it's a triple. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a really it's a it's a it's a it's a really good triple that gets to home. It, it gets to home because its idea is so good, and also it's just fun. The cast, I even think Lee Majors is less than, but he's still. I, I, Jan Michael Vincent would have been amazing. But I really like uh, um, 
Well, I think Richard Lynch steals the movie. I think it becomes Richard Lynch's movie at a certain point. And by the end, it really becomes Richard Lynch's movie. He kind of has to find the moment, him and him and Roger E. Mosley. Well, it, it, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 the bigot and the the black dude. And they, I kind of think feel they've gotten over that by that well, point. Well, they get they get over they, they get over it long before. They get yeah, over yeah. it at the beginning of the third act. Yeah, by then it's yeah. like we're we're in this together. Mm-hmm. The movie's written by Lee Chapman, a woman, mm-hmm. um, uh, from a story by Peter Davis and Rob Ewing. So I'm guessing this was some kind of assignment, maybe. Yeah, it sounds like assignment yeah. writing. Uh-huh. But I, I wanted to mention her because she wrote one of my very, very, very favorite episodes. I mean, this woman wrote like everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Burke's Law, Mission Impossible, Takes a Thief, Mod Squad, just writing wow. on writing on everything. So she's like as accomplished a, mm-hmm. a TV um, a professional as these actors are. as all of these actors are. But she wrote one of my very, 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 very favorite uh, Wild Wild West episodes, which was uh, from the first season. She did six episodes of Wild Wild West, but along with uh, another writer, Jackson Gillis, she wrote The Night of the Wearing Death, which is absolutely one of my favorite Miguelito Loveless episodes. And it's it's all about him sending toys to people to to like. Uh, I wonder if she direct. I wonder if she wrote one of the William Whitney episodes because he directed. I think he directed the pilot. And he directed a few in the first season. That was a Mark Rydell episode. Yeah, yeah, okay. the, uh, that episode, yeah. and it's 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 such a fabulous episode because Miguelito Lovelace's reason, his raison d'être, yeah, huh. is that he wants to create a state for children to live in peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like this bizarre. Mo for uh, Miguelito Loveless to have, and so I'm like a big champion of hers, yeah. and so and this movie didn't disappoint to me as far as like you know script goes. It was fabulous. No, and no, if the bad guys were stronger and, and weren't just like I said, perfunctionary, uh, it, would, it would be a horse of a different color. But the film really, but the uh, but the look, I like I. I had a blast watching it with you guys. That's why I, uh, you guys were responding to you guys. You guys just kind of got the spirit that the film was in, and 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 you reflected that spirit back out into the auditorium. Well, Quentin, as you said, the Magnificent Seven. There, this movie had two taglines. The first one was, they reached for an impossible dream and built a miracle. And the second one was, the Magnificent Eight. Oh, that ah. was the tagline for the movie. When I saw this, honestly, I was like, where can I find me a man <laughs> to assemble a team and build nine floors of a building to save my father's dying business? <laughs> I'm single. I'm looking, I'm looking for my Lee Majors. <laughs> Almost, or maybe like it gives George C. Scott sex appeal and the hospital run for his money. Jennifer O'Neill is also the kind of woman that I want to be. Um, I mean, we were talking about the hospital and I was saying, oh, I love how her dialogue and that is so great. Jennifer O'Neill, when she's in the truck yeah. with Lee Majors and then like the like the truck stop hooker comes uh, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Floozy. The truck, the, yeah, the truck floozy. stop floozy. The floozy. Or his, his like, there, there's girlfriend. A, there's no unquote. indication that money is being exchanged. She's just like a, she's like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a fangirl. Yeah, yeah. To, Actually, to he truckers. says, she's, she's, my like, co-writer. she's, she's my co-writer. Yeah, she's my co-writer. Yeah, yeah, keep my co-writer. <laughs> but uh, I love it when like, she's in there, she's trying to like give him the business proposition and then like the, the floozy comes in and is kind of like trying to like, oh, I'll be in the back like when you're ready, like yeah. get it on. And she just is like, stop the truck. I don't have time. You're not the man that I thought you were. And just leave. Which is totally gala. <laughs> just take note, everybody. <laughs> and I loved that because that's exactly what he needed to have for his wake up call. Why he, he chases shows up. Her and he chases her back yeah. to the building because now it's like he needs to redeem himself. And, and that's because this is written by a woman. This is written and, by Lee Chapman. She knows what's needed. And when 
like when Quentin's saying like the villain of like the brother in the movie is like not very strong. I completely agree with that. Like that's not strong, but like I don't really know if like that is the villain. Like I think the villain is actually it's like because Lee Majors and Jennifer O'Neill come from two different walks of life and they come together and the villain in the movie I think is just like their differences. Time uh, is the villain. Time uh, is as, the villain. As a woman, as a woman. I think when the team actually has a what looks like a Batman fight in a in a uh <laughs> With Batman, with the Joker's minions in a, in a warehouse, I think you can call them villains. Where, where, they, where they, like, attack it with, Go, with You're guns. laughing because it's exactly what it was. Yeah. Right? And also, the, like, the, the piece of wood, the piece Ooh. of wood on that but guy. I, but I'm not holding that against the movie. That's actually one of the things I find charming about the movie. But that's not the part I find charming. And and actually, um, and, and, and just so that we know that we're, uh, just so we all know that I'm not bagging at all on Harris Yulin, because the guy is. Harris Yulin is a fantastic actor. He's. He's an incredible he's, actor. He's, stuck, he's an absolutely he's stuck, he's incredible actor. He's stuck with actor. a terrible role. He knows the role's terrible. He's, yeah, he might be trying, but he he's actually in my maybe one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek DS9. Oh, uh, which one? Which is he in? He plays um, Amin Maritza, who is basically the Mengele character who was running like a death camp. Oh, you mean the Cardassian? Yeah, and the Cardassian and... and uh, I'm in Maritza. No, I'm not that guy. You know, the who cowers under the table. Oh, it's yeah. such a powerful performance, and it's directed by James Jim Conway. Oh wow, uh-huh. who's yeah. uh, my favorite? James L. Conway, yeah, yeah, James L. Conway. I, to me, he's Jim. Okay. <laughs> my pal, hanger, my hanger, pal, Jim. Hanger eighteen, yeah, yeah. Well, I and uh, Beyond and Back. I yes. think they, <laughs> I like Beyond and Back. That's a really <laughs> good Bogans? episode of DS9. Yeah, Hunt for uh, Noah's Ark and uh, like In Search of Noah's Ark. In Search of Noah's Ark. <laughs> Hunt for Noah's Ark. <laughs> no, I love I love Jim Conway. I think Jim Conway directs the very best episodes. He also did Death Wish on, um, on Death Wish with Garrett Vo- with the Voyager. great Garrett Graham. He directs the very very best episodes of uh, Star, Star Trek. Trek as well as all the good stuff on the yeah. Orville. Yeah. Thank James you. O'Conway directs episodes of the Orville? Yeah, yeah. They, well, what's great about the Orville is that they, they were smart enough to bring a whole bunch of Star Trek guys when mm-hmm. uh, when Paramount was basically flushing those guys down the toilet. <laughs> um, uh, Seth, Seth realized, hey, these guys are freaking geniuses mm-hmm. and brought James Conway aboard. And um, I like Bruce A. Pittman. <laughs> yeah. Director of Hello, Mary Lou. Probably yes. too. Jennifer Neal is really good in this. One of the qualities that Jennifer O'Neill had that was very special to her is she had very, very, very good camaraderie with her male co-stars. It's surprising all the sexy guys out there that even though they've done a zillion movies with with this actress versus that actress, how rare you see that, that actors actually have chemistry together. Mm. That they're actually there's something fun about them being together per se. Uh, but Jennifer Neal had a re- uh, was very good at that. She was very you know when you see her uh, with James Coburn in the Carrie treatment, or you see her with Donald Sutherland in a dog of a movie called uh, Lady Ice. They're still good together. She has a neat dynamic with these strong men, you know. Uh, uh, you know, she has a, nobody had a dynamic with uh, Michael Sarazen, but you put them together in, in the reincarnation of Peter Proud, and they 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 yeah. have chemistry. Yeah. All right. And then when she goes to Europe and she's making movies with Giancarlo Giannini, they're fantastic together. But I mean, even a stiff like uh, Chuck Norris, especially at the beginning of his career with a, a yeah. force of one. Yeah. She has, there's a spark. I think she's doing both their jobs. You know, she's doing his job and her job, but she's doing it. And you feel that with her and uh, Lee Majors in this film. Oh, I love, that's part of the reason why I love this movie is because it's like, yes, like the the aspect of like bringing together the team and like actually accomplishing like 
as Roger said, like all the different pieces of America coming together to make a building. It's fantastic. But I love the romance between them. It is mm-hmm. so believable that like you have her who's like the daughter of this builder and him who has frozen at the top of a building and can't return because he feels such deep shame. And then they fall in love. And it's like, I get it. I, I love it. I see it. It's like, I see it in the truck. Mm-hmm. I see it when he comes back. I see that she believes in him. I see that she wants to be treated as an equal. I love the scene where it's like they go to, um, who is like the the friendly older gentleman that Art, is- Art, Art, Art Carney. Carney. Art Carney. 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 Forgot yeah. to mention him. Um, and there's like, they're in the pasture and they're getting served tea. And Lee Majors is like totally out of his element. And then they go and they're like looking at the horses- and they start just having like this really friendly conversation and they're telling each other the differences. And he's trying to convince her that like it wouldn't work out between them, basically. And he's like, I'm not emotional. And she's like, well, I am. And you're missing out on life, not feeling things. And it's such just like an honest thing that she says to him. And I think that's part of what helps him in his redemption arc, like acknowledge like what mm. he's been feeling and what he's just been trying to hide of like his deep shame he's been that he pushing has. down. Yeah. And it's just. His redemption arc is so satisfying. The action that leads up to it is really great. There's like, this movie has it all. It has heartbreak amongst <laughs> the people, amongst the guys. Like there's, I almost started crying at one point when something bad happens. I love all the characters. They're all so different. Like they're all unique. They all have their little backstories. Like the IRA guy is straight from Hennessy. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. literally just like stumbled he into He literally the movie. could have been in Hennessy. <laughs> yeah. He's literally working for Rod Steiger. Yeah. In, in literally. Um, and I just have to say, this episode kind of has a theme because all three movies feature like First Nations actors and characters. Like we got the Apache in both those movies and we got Cherokee in this one. Yeah, yeah we have the Apache doctor. Yeah, the Apache uh, medicine man. Yeah. 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 So that's my little theme I found. Uh, Quinn, between um, between this film and Scanner, she did a movie called Cloud Dancer. Yeah, yeah, with David Carradine. Yeah, the Barry Brown movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I haven't seen, and, and Joseph Bottoms. Uh, is that like a Waldo Pepper style movie? It looks like a lot of air Real flying it's a lot of it's very much like Waldo. I want to see that movie. Yeah, there's there's Cause that Barry Brown guy only did like two movies. Yeah, so. yeah. It's a uh, 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 David Carradine is terrific, and it's one of his best leading roles uh, uh, during that time period. I've I've I have it. I'd be happy to I'd be happy to watch it. It has. I'd really thrilling. like to, I'd really like to see that. It has thrilling air stuff in it, and uh, yeah, because you know how much I love that. Yeah, yeah. No, by I mean, we should definitely watch it. Jim Sheldon said he considers it one of David Carradine's best lead performances. Great. Well, and if Jim Sheldon says it, then because he holds the irons to the fire. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> so on September 21st, 1978, stuntman A.J. Bakunas did oh, yeah. the stunt, the high fall stunt fall in front of a thousand people. And upon landing on the airbag, it actually split. And he sadly did not survive. So we dedicate this segment to him, A.J. Thank you for doing that crazy yeah, record holding fall. That's the fall that happens at the beginning of the movie with George, uh, George Kennedy, and the movie is actually dedicated to him in the film. So, so, as, so somebody wanted to watch uh, Steel? So if somebody wants to watch Steel, you guys, I'm sorry, it is not streaming. There is no DVD of it. You're going to have to pick up a Vestron VHS. Yeah. And, and then make a rip and put or it on Or become YouTube. my friend and come over to my house and watch it in my screening room. <laughs> you guys, find a VHS of this. Watch it. I really loved it. I think you will, too. It's a worthy film. I got mine from... Well, actually... 
I want to thank everyone, first off, that helped me find this tape because I had to find two because I wanted to commit one to the archives. Because you, you actually have to commit one to the archives in order for us to include it. Yes, yes. exactly. So I wanted to commit one to the archives. And my, and I, my drama section and the S's are waiting for its steal. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone <laughs> who helped me find it. You guys know who you are. I ended up picking up my copy for $25 from my man, Frankie Latina, and his video vault. Wow. This is going to go right next to uh, Steel Magnolias. And what would the other one be? Uh, maybe what, what, what that, uh, 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 that Shaq movie, Steel. Yeah, there's also yeah. Shaq movie, Steel. We don't have that one. <laughs> Steel Yard Blues, maybe. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it's time to give out some awards. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, I will start off uh, with best actor. Uh, well, well, uh, come on. <laughs> do we do we have to go through the motions? Let's do it. Let's okay. go through the motions. Let's go through the motions. Okay, George uh, 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 C. Scott, the hospital. George C. Scott. Yeah, come on. It's George C. Scott. It's like it, the bear of a man. Listen, uh, um, Burt Lancaster is an equal fantastic. He's a fucking virile man and an incredible actor. <laughs> and, uh, Lee Majors. <laughs> and Lee majors. Uh, there's so much like, you know, strength going on in all of these, God, there's uh, a lot of testosterone uh, this episode. In, in all of, in all of these episodes, but like nobody does it like uh, George C. Scott, the mm. volcano of a man. Okay. Now best actress. There's only like really two people to choose from in this. Uh, I'm going to go with Jennifer O'Neill. That makes it mm, okay, Diana. Oh, they're both so good. Oh, this is so hard. I'm going for Jennifer O'Neill as well. I think I, Diana I, Rigg is very good in the movie. I don't think she was the best casting for that role. I think I, just saying Julie Christie, like how yeah, you said, and yeah. frankly, just saying Diane Keaton, as yes. you said, and you said another person, uh, Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway in 1972. In yeah. 1972, would have been amazing in this. I mean, yeah, and also Jennifer O'Neill is just like flawlessly walking through everything, like without messing up her outfit and she just is or hair or hair that, that she's just massive flawlessly mane of hair well, okay. none of it is okay. extensions well, also, it's well, all well, real hair yeah, admittedly Dinah Rick has a far tougher <laughs> yes but also but also Jennifer O'Neill stands up and out with that cast like she is up there with yeah. the boys she's, and she is just as well, strong as a all case could be made that you know well she doesn't have Patty Chayesky writing her fucking dialogue yeah. for her she barely has a character basically her persona and her, her outfits are her character and she's one of the best characters in the fucking movie yeah, yeah. well Jennifer O'Neill it is okay uh, okay there are no supporting actresses really I mean, well, I guess there could be if you want to go well, deep, deeper into the hospital. All right. Uh, uh, Nancy like Marshall. No, but, but, 65 like, cast members that it say on the back of there. Yeah, I, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> well, it's just that freaking woman. You know, Soldier, don't leave me. Soldier, don't leave me. And then there's, there's, the, black, there's the black Well, nurse that, well that's that's Zana's raid. Yeah, well, that, Nancy Marshall. Big cry. But I like Nancy Marshall. All right. If I had to pick. I don't even think there should be a Best Supporting Actress. Okay. All right. Uh, best uh, Supporting Actor, though. But Best Supporting Actor is, is uh, that's a different kettle of fish all right um there's a lot to choose from any other time i would have said jorge luke all right as 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 kinete but like i said i was just a little less impressed uh uh this time around with uh yulzana's raid even though i still appreciate it 
I'm going with Richard Lynch. You know what? Is, I was just leaning into Richard Lynch as uh, you yeah, were yeah. as you were saying that. Is yeah. he the guy that is he's, burned? Yeah, he's yeah. the guy. Yeah, who, then that's my choice. During also. the Vietnam yeah, War, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he immolated himself. Well, no, no, no. It was a, no. He was a protest against the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah. That's a protest. Yeah. And he poured gasoline on himself and set himself on yeah, fire. Yeah. Well, he gets my vote and and, yeah. and, and, and has that amazing character actor face as yeah, a result yeah, yeah, of absolutely. it. Absolutely. Also, his sequence like of when like they go to like induct him into like the group yeah, yeah. is just fantastic. Because he's yeah, like yeah. up underneath the bridge, like straddling the thing and uh, like yeah, repels. I don't know if it's really him, but it looks it, like it's yeah, really yeah. him. Repels down and it's just it's a fantastic sequence. But yeah, he's very incredible and compelling. And there actually and there actually is an absolute moment of of genuine you know, almost sports movie satisfaction when him and even though it's corny, but but this is corn that works. Yeah, when him and Roger E. Mosley, you know, uh, uh, put the finishing touch on the building yeah. at the end. I also really love Richard Jekyll in uh, ah, Richard Jekyll's on his raid. You know, Richard Jekyll is probably giving the better performance. All right. Uh, having said that, I'm still kind of going with Richard Lynch. I mean, uh, look, if you wanted to do a war film, a western, a frontier movie, you wanted. Dick Jenkins in your movie. <laughs> I mean, Look, Richard Jekyll. The Jekyll's, guy is one of the greatest uh, character actors Richard of, of Hollywood, Richard working Jekyll, character Richard actors. Richard Jekyll is giving a better performance. Yeah. I am acknowledging that. It's a better yeah. performance Richard Jekyll I mean, gives than, than Richard Lynch. I just think Richard Lynch's secret sauce that he adds to that movie makes it well, he, my favorite. He makes the movie. It's, it's not al- better. It's also the toughest favorite. role. He, he's got to play the bigot. That's yeah, a, that's like a tough role to rise out of that and to become a hero mm-hmm. in the movie is a big, that's yeah. a big deal. So, so you so oh. no, I just wanted to, I had to say Richard Jekyll because well, I think, you should because I think he's fucking great, but uh, I'm still gonna stick with Richard Lynch. Best screenplay. I've got Chayefsky, come on. <laughs> well, like, well, okay, I know that I okay, I know that the ending of the movie is not great unless you listen to Quentin's reading of it and follow along, which I'm choosing to right now. But I just I. Chayefsky's dialogue is fantastic and like just I love his all sense the, of humor his sense of humor I love all of like the Native American stuff that he always pulls into his the writing themes that he's trying to deal in and wrestle the, these ugly pigs alright you know the themes that he deals with he, he's, I mean it's a mud wrestling match and the framing that happens in the hospital where it's like the beginning sequence which I don't even know if we talked about with the voiceover talking about like how this bed got yeah, open yeah, 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 and like yeah. how this began the events mm-hmm. is really good yeah yeah okay I'm going to be a little controversial here because walking into this room, I was like, you know, of course, of course, it's going to be Chayefsky. Mm-hmm. It has to be Patty Chayefsky. It's Patty Chayefsky, mm-hmm. of course. But you know what? If we remove ourselves from all we know of Patty Chayefsky and just look at this movie and I look at the few faults that I had in it where that kind of New York stagey thing. And then I give myself a little bit to um, uh, to Lee Chapman. You know what? I think I'm going to go with Lee Chapman okay. on this. And I know, listen, I get what Patty Chayefsky I'm not is. giving it to Patty Chayefsky simply because he's a famous name and I'm afraid not. You're, uh, well, I didn't mean to imply There's that. There's a reason why I Patty Chayefsky is Patty. If you did not, if, if his name was Joe Brown and you saw this movie, go, who the fuck is Joe Brown? Yeah, because he's great. No, <laughs> listen, I don't mean to put it down. I'm just saying that I'm going with Lee Chapman. I feel like if I hadn't have heard Quentin's reading of The Hospital, I might be... Like voting for Look, Steel, I know in my so. heart that it's Sharp or Chayefsky. I know that, but fuck it. Okay. <laughs> That's a good reason. That's a good reason. That's a very good reason. My my gut tells me to go Franklin with Franklin Browner. Franklin Browner's calling in Franklin right now. Franklin Browner speaks through me. <laughs> and what he says is, Lee Chapman. 
Okay, I don't think we need to go through any more technical credits. Let's get into directing and picture. Let's do it. Directing. Well, it's not going to be Steve Carver. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. No offense. I mean, I I think I'll go with uh, Arthur Hiller. I think he does a really good job allowing George C. Scott to be George C. Scott. And I also think his work with Victor Kemper makes the movie flow really well. And I think he does a really excellent job directing. I think Arthur Hiller is the third leg of the tripod holding up the hospital (laughs) between Chayefsky, George C. Scott, and Arthur Hiller. Those three guys, man. You're turning into Patty Chayefsky (laughs) and the way you keep talking about the film. (laughs) Takes three legs to make a table stand. (laughs) I'm seeing some blind melon right now. And they're wooden sticks, all right? None of that tin shit, all right? Titanium. No, wood sticks, baby. Steel. Uh, uh, I would go for Arthur Hiller as well. I can't yeah, believe my I, man Arthur. Hiller. I can't believe I'm saying that over uh, Robert Aldrich, but in this instance, uh, uh, I think it's exquisite the way he directed uh, uh, Patty's work. All right, the way he dramatized it, uh, the way he was able to pull off those immense takes yeah. with uh, supports uh, his actors. 100%. George C. Scott having 15 pages of dialogue. And even if you don't take my reading, the idea that he can even tell a second half that I don't agree with, and it doesn't actually affect how I feel about the movie one iota. On top of all of that, I- I just didn't like it as much as other things, yeah. but it didn't ruin anything. And so on top of all of that, I just, as you know, I loved Arthur Hiller on a personal level. He was a really sweet, super yeah. nice guy to me during the, when he was president of the Academy. And also I really love the movie he did right after this. And I feel like I'm the only person who loves that movie, which was Man of La Mancha. Oh, yeah, no, no. You, that's one of your favorite movies. I've never seen it. I love Man Lance, of La Mancha. Lance always, uh, hated, hated. Man, yeah, hated Man of La Mancha. I he used to berate me for liking that movie. I've, so, okay, so Man of La Mancha that's not a straight version of Man. They're they're doing a production. It's of a Man mu- of- it's the musical production of Man of La Mancha. I Don yeah. Quixote, yeah. the Man no, of but, La Mancha. But they're, but they're but they're actually doing a production of Man of La Mancha in it, and then it kind of goes back and forth between a little it's, bit. It's yeah. real or and or it's a production. Yes, but- and then. You know that I like I love um, kind of uh, historical, mythological, yeah. well, um, nights, I've never, I've never uh, seen, I've never mythology. Seen, I cannot believe that that movie has gotten as bad word as it's gotten for the simple fact that nobody has ever looked more like Don Quixote than oh, than Peter O'Toole. And in that Peter movie. O'Toole is the perfect yeah, Don yeah, Quixote. Yeah. He is absolutely perfect in it. I mean, they they have I've seen stills of him just like reading a newspaper on the set of Man of La Mancha and go well. That's Don Quixote. That's Don Quixote. (laughs) (laughs) He's like eating a donut and uh, drinking a cup of coffee and reading Ring Variety, and it looks like fucking Don Quixote. (laughs) I think it is the most beautiful and um, uh, artistic of Arthur Hiller's films that that I've seen. Wow. It's also highly supported. It's a musical. I love musicals. It's it's beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. It has this incredible texture to the film, and I'm sure it's all shot in Spain. Best picture. Best picture. Uh, I, I'm going with the hospital. I would have gone with Yuzana's raid any other time, but I'm going with the hospital now. Yeah. I, I just fucking love the Yeah, hospital. I'm going with the hospital too, mostly because of that that tripod. I love the hospital, but I'm going to have to go for steel because I'm going to rewatch it. And I really like, I mean, they're both really, I, I give them both my love. I 
I do. Well, you lobbied hard for steel. I lobbied hard for steel, and I won. And we broke, <laughs> and we broke our rules. Okay, normally it, it has it has to be on video. Now we wouldn't have done it if we had been watched the Blu-ray. But the no. fact that it was if, a print that gave us a little but bit. But also of the a, fact that Gullah was able to find a couple of tapes. Yes, no, that, no, that had to that had to have happened. If that yes. if, if it had not been available somehow on VHS, then I would have. I would have. Uh, you might have had as much to as I it. as much as I want to. I'm afraid. <laughs> thank dirty you, pool. But thank you, Quentin, for uh, allowing. <laughs> Steel to be on the show because I want more people to see it and I hope that it becomes more available. We so had a, can. we had a ball watching it. Yeah, we had a, but that really was a, that was a terrific double feature of American Commandos. A and, really unexpectedly terrific double feature. Like I don't know in what universe you would double feature those, but yeah. I guess we're in that one. Well, I just got well, the universe <laughs> where I just got them delivered. Right. <laughs> hey, let's watch these two new prints I got. <laughs> That's the world that you see them double. That's the world I'm living in. That's the universe we're <laughs> in. Not a bad world, though. Yeah. It's a freaking fantastic world, if you ask me. I'm not complaining. Well, I think it does it for uh, this week's episode. Uh, uh, I'm Quentin Tarantino. And I'm Roger Avery. And I'm Gala. <laughs> Roger yeah. remembers who he is. <laughs> The actors will step out of the hot burning lights now. <laughs> the Video Archives podcast is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Josh Richmond and Gala Avery with executive producers Colin Anderson and Natalie Muallen. Our engineers are Alex Gonzalez and Casey Holford. Find out more about the show and get Video Archives merch at videoarchivespodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter at Video Archives and on Instagram at Video Archives Pod. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 